so nice to see so many people. Uh, good evening, time being seven o'clock. I call the May 24th, 2023 meeting of the Franklin Town Council to order. And now I ask that we pause for a moment of silence in memory of Nicholas Gaspar, the Gaspar family and the entire Franklin community for this incredibly tragic loss. Please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, liberty and justice for all. Announcements from the Chair. All citizens are now welcome to attend public board and committee meetings in person. Meetings are live streamed by Franklin TV and shown on Comcast Channel 11 and Verizon Channel 29. In an effort to maximize citizen engagement opportunities, citizens will be able to continue to participate remotely via phone, or you may click the Zoom link that is on the posted agenda and on the town's website. The phone number is 929-205-6099. And the meeting ID is 872-3299-5808. And then you need to hit the pound sign. So once again, the meeting ID is 872-3299. 5808 pound. If residents are just interested in watching the meeting, it will also be live streamed by Franklin TV. Citizens' comments. Citizens are welcome to express their views for up to three minutes on a matter that is not on the agenda. Since it's a public hearing on the budget, Pretty much everything's on the agenda. Uh, the council will not engage in a dialogue or comment on a matter raised during citizen comments. The town council will give remarks, appropriate consideration, and may ask the town administrator to review the matter. Is there anyone in council chambers that would like to speak on an item not on tonight's agenda? Seeing no one, is there anyone out there in Zoom land that would like to speak on an item not on tonight's agenda? I'm not seeing anyone, are you, Jenny? Okay. Seeing no one out in Zoom land on the uh, looking to speak during citizens' comments, we will move on. Tonight is the first of two public hearings on the FY24 Town of Franklin budget. And at this point, I would declare the first public hearing on the FY24 Town of Franklin budget open. Jamie? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, as we begin this year's budget process, it is no secret that the finances of the Franklin Public School District are a major concern. 
I understand that some of the language that I used in my budget narrative was strong, and that some were offended uh, at certain times. It was never my intent and was not my intention to offend anyone. I apologize to those who felt my characterization was strong or overly negative. It was, however, my intention to be transparent with the public and state my concerns of the fiscal condition of the public schools. It is also my job to present the issues and the potential risks facing the town. Statements I make may not always be popular, but I assure you they will always be forthright, as you will see in the upcoming slideshow. Regardless of how it is phrased, the reality is that we need to address the escalating school budget costs and recognize external factors that impact the sustainability, I think that's a word everyone's gonna hear a lot this week, of the town budget, not just for the school department, but for all of the departments. As I have been for the last eight years employed in the town of Franklin, and today starts my fifth year as town administrator, I remain committed to solving the myriad of problems facing the community. Anyone who has worked with me, I think, knows I always have an open mind, an open door, and have worked collaboratively with every stakeholder in the community to solve the issues that people are having in this town. I remain steadfast that we move forward as one team, one family, and one community, and I'm absolutely committed to working with the school department to fix the structural deficit that is occurring. I am proud of the strong working relationships that I have developed with Superintendent, Superintendent Gear as well as all previous superintendents, school leadership, the entire school staff, and especially the school committee, both past, present, and future. We have all had excellent working relationships for many, many years, and have solved an incredible amount of community-wide problems and initiatives when working together. I fully expect all of us to turn a page this summer and move forward after the budget hearing. And now I'm gonna go through a short slideshow, Mr. Chairman, uh, that I presented also at the Finance Committee um, to ensure we are all on the same page. Uh, and working with the Chair uh, Mercer, um, while some of these slides have been seen by folks either watching on YouTube or tuning into the meetings, given the amount of issues that we're all facing and all the comments that we're hearing about in the community, I do think it, and we both thought it was incredibly important to make sure that as we get through this year's budget hearing, everybody sees the same information and is working through this budget hearing on the same page. Thank you. Okay, so for everybody watching at home, uh, my usual plug uh, is to go to franklinma.gov, go to the town budget page right there, linked up. And anybody that's watching uh, at home on TV or YouTube or streaming it, just go to that link. You can follow along with all the budget documents and I'll be making some sample information up here. This is not at all the totality of what's in the documents. Um, there's a lot of charts, a lot of data, a lot of narrative. I know we're all struggling for time these days and we're all overextended, but for those out there that are interested in working together in the future and tonight and this week, I implore everybody to go to the site and spend at least some time going through the budget narrative as well as the budget. It's keyword searchable. You can scroll through it um, and just pluck through it so folks have as much information as possible. So it's important to start any budget discussion with revenues. So I'm going to go through about four or five slides and I'm going to straight up do as best I can. People have asked me all the time, can you just give me the cliff notes? <laughs> On a $150 million a year budget, it's really hard to do cliff notes, but I am continually trying to repackage information so hopefully people can gather what they need. 
So if folks go to the first page of the actual budget and the voting document, what they're gonna see is what's called a revenue and control sheet. And I'm gonna walk through it as quickly as I can. So the tax levy right up here is essentially your main revenue source. That is based on your property taxes in the community. You can see the prior year levy limit. We have 22, 23 and proposed 24 up here, but you can go back on the website and look back even further. And it's really simple math. Um, you just do two and a half percent. This is what most people know of as the infamous Proposition Two and a Half law that was passed in the early 80s. Can I just interrupt you for one sure. second, Jimmy? Uh, I can see uh, there's a bunch of people waiting to get in oh. on Zoom. Uh, yep. Thanks. Made it all. I got 15 things yep. going yep. over. Actually, there, I didn't so. see it because the thing is. So many people on Zoom. Okay. Uh, so, so, so every year the finance director and staff basically plug in two and a half percent. That ultimately is your structural revenue source for the community. Everyone, the whole community, schools in town, whatever people want to describe, that's your revenue source. The second part of the tax levy is what's called new growth. And new growth are property value increases captured mid-year from construction, home renovations, home improvements. This captures both residential and commercial value. This is done by our illustrious elected board of assessors and our incredible uh, assessing staff. And what we do each year is we do, as the town has done for decades, it's a smart policy across the board in many communities, we do a 10-year average of new growth numbers. And so as you can see, even the 2.5% going up in one year is actually not the full story. Over the last 10 years, and based on recent trends after the pandemic, the new growth numbers are starting to decline. Why is that? Because there's more risk in the marketplace, interest rates are higher, and there's less, fewer and fewer people, mostly residents by the way, going out and taking out loans or something like that or putting big uh, home additions onto their property. It's still happening, but we're starting to see that decline and we're also starting to see uh, housing development semi kind of dry up a little bit as well as commercial industrial. So we expect this number to continue to potentially decline in future years. But for right now, the new growth numbers were so strong a few years ago, that number's higher. But really, it's still a revenue loss that we project of almost $30,000. So just when you do the 2.5%, you're now really down to about 2.45%. And that's circled right here, okay? So that really is the tax levy in a nutshell. Debt exclusions is your next piece. These were all ballot initiative votes by the taxpayers over the last, say, 20 years. And you can see the items on here on the, on the list. And what folks will notice is over here in the right column, they'll see parentheses. That means that that debt is now sunsetting off the books. So while no one will ever see a tax break before the tax rate is set in December of every year, the Board of Assessors and the Finance staff have taken into consideration the fact that some of these taxes have actually sunset from votes taken 20 plus years ago on the debt and interest of those buildings. And so, as a finance team, you can't like not, you can't blow that off. That still ends up being, and you can't see it because I focus on the, the final number here, but you'll see 120,000 and taxes essentially is coming off the tax levy, leaving a general net of 3.3 million. 
So you see a $150,000 levy decline in revenue over FY23. I hope everybody understands it. I understand that some of these things are a little complicated, but that's about as simple as I can break it out. And so ultimately what you have here in this circle is essentially the available revenue. And I'm doing this, it's not 100% dollar for dollar perfect, but essentially that's the available revenue every year roughly. Next year, you'll see those numbers likely come down a little bit more as those projects to the left sunset off in the next couple of years. So again, those, I know people don't see it, I just for the folks out there that think costs always increase, when people vote for these projects after 20 years, you don't feel it and you don't see it, but the tax actually does come off the books. The second major category of revenue that the town gets is called local receipts. And I'm gonna bypass the enterprise funds and indirects on this piece for a minute. I'm just gonna let a few more people in. Because essentially, this section down here of other available funds and transfers, these are one-time revenues that come in off our enterprise funds, which we'll hear about later from Brutus. But if you were to transfer like in 2019 where the council decided to take the budget stabilization account or other stabilization accounts, you put this in there. And as you can see, there have been no one-time resources, but if there was a one-time allocation, it would go in here. So I don't want people to focus on this one because there's really nothing uh, to actually see on that revenue. But really the one up top is the local receipts. And local receipts are generally revenues that are paid, fees for service. Those are building permits, that's where all of our recreation fees and receipts go, um, that's where all the alcohol licensing fees go, ambulance receipts, there's a whole chart in the entire budget narrative that I pointed out earlier that folks can go look at. There's a 20-year history of these revenues. I won't pour into them now because it's a lot of information. But if folks want to go look them up in the budget narrative, you can see all of our assumptions right there for meals tax and all the other stuff. Now less than half of those receipts are also motor vehicle excise tax. And we also have in there the hotel tax, the cannabis uh, excise fee, and the meals tax. These receipts fluctuate year to year. Four years ago, all of you on the council and that were involved recognized that when we made substantial cuts during the pandemic, why, why did we lose 25% of our revenue? This was it right here. Why? Because there, wasn't, there, wasn't, there weren't as many, right, the, well, the hotel was a big one. You're right, council, but in general, building fees were still continuing on. Gus and our inspectors did more than other communities, but we still saw a huge drop in revenue which was exactly why the federal stimulus bills came out. The one difference that Franklin did not do that the city of Boston and many other municipalities are gonna face in the next year, the council and the community did not plug the operating budget gap with one-time revenues. If you read about the city of Boston, they got $560 million in ARPA money. There was an article about a month ago saying the city is already preparing a year and a half from now when that revenue dries up they're gonna end up laying off a lot of people in all likelihood or cutting a lot of services that were sustained from those one-time revenues. This is a plus. We were not balancing our budget in the town of Franklin on one-time revenue. We are not going to face the same situation in two years that a lot of other towns are gonna to face. This is something that is a big positive. But for local receipts, you can see from last year, we are estimating a $2 million increase. 
because we are seeing such a high demand in services. Like ambulance receipts, you'll hear from the fire chief later about the record-breaking calls. You'll hear from Ryan Jetty later, for example. Just a couple examples for the record-breaking amount of money that he's bringing in. Well, those resources still need to go back into those programs or those initiatives or those staff. I just want to point out that none of this revenue are generated by any actions in the school department with the exception of certain Medicaid reimbursements, which are on average between a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. I just want to make sure everyone's aware that these types of fees, like athletic fees, transportation fees, all that stuff, we'll hear, I know the presentation has been sent out from the superintendent uh, from last week, and they have in there, the school business administrator will present all the rev revolving accounts. That's kind of similar. There's a couple of nuanced differences I won't go into, but it's kind of a similar type of thing. It's kind of a fee-for-service system. The final revenue source in the third bucket is state aid. I think all of you on the council, many of you in the community have all um, been aware of the dynamics of state aid, and I don't want to bore everybody with a long lecture about state aid. The reality is we are not getting any more. This is just a perfect storm of the growth in the 90s and 2000s with the change in the Chapter 70 formula in 2006 and the, and the Student Opportunity Act. Our legislative delegation did the best they could to try to do the best they could for Franklin. Where was that? That was in special education reimbursement and charter school reimbursement. These have all been on many public meetings before. I just want to make sure everybody's aware. But when we see in the news Oh, the House or Senate or Governor added more Chapter 70 money. And we go, wow, it's $60 per pupil or whatever, whatever number they come up with. The MMA puts out something, wow, this is a big victory. Mass Association of School Committees puts out a big announcement. It is a big victory. It's a huge victory. I worked in the State House for years on the Education Committee for six years. That's a huge win, policy-wise. But the demographics, the affluence, the formula, of the community combined with the growth rate declining in the community has resulted in Franklin leveling off. The Student Opportunity Act was not designed to help communities like ours. They were designed to help underperforming school districts throughout the state. But you can't just look at the top and say, wow, we're going to get more money, because we don't. There's a whole other section on assessments and votes. And I highlighted one in particular on the charter school assessment. This is not a comment relative to the charter school, but this comment on the fact that another two dozen students roughly a year are going from the public school district to the charter school, and therefore the assessment is going to be higher. And as you can see here with 412,793, we're now actually paying out more money to the charter school than chapter 78 coming in. And ultimately, State aid is not just about Chapter 7. State aid is about dozens of formulas all throughout here in different categories, and it amounts to what's over here called a cherry sheet. If folks at home just Google Massachusetts cherry sheets, you will be given more information than you could ever imagine. You can go look at them, dive into the Excel spreadsheets, you can do whatever you want. You will see the historical numbers there. They go back like 30 years. The cherry sheet is what every municipality uses as your baseline budget for state aid. It's, we don't pluck one or the other, that's it right there. Governor Healy's budget in the budget before the council tonight <clears throat> includes Governor Healy's House One budget, which was a net loss in local aid. 
People have to understand that. A net loss. We know the House and Senate have already voted, well, the, excuse me, the Senate's voting their, or dealing with their budget right now, literally. The House increased their number, and I do expect another 200 to 250,000 or so in state aid. We'll get to that later in the slides. But those are your three major buckets of revenue sources for the community. The school department keeps their funds. That's separate, folks can ask them later about their questions. But for the time being, for this budget before the council, this is how the town always uses, it re re uses its revenue form. This is just a slide up here to show the breakdown and percentage of budgets across the major categories. Again, for the folks at home that want to learn more, there's lots of charts in there like this. Um, and you can see, and I made a couple notations. The general government line item has gone up uh, almost a full percent, mainly because of the inflation-related expenses, which we'll go through in a minute. The public safety department, I just wanted to note, does include also regional dispatch, as well as the building and inspections departments. It's not just police and fire. There's a lot more in there, animal control. And then in the education line item, that does include the assessment to Tri-County, as well as the Norfolk Agricultural School. What it does also, what it does not include is approximately 17 million um, in additional costs that are on the kind of quote unquote municipal budget that actually go to school costs. We'll go through that again in a minute. Just a cheap plug for the website one more time, another pie chart. People can find tons of cool charts in there and demographics information and all sorts of other stuff. Just wanted to give a sample. This again is a sample when we're talking about and we'll see this with the municipal budgets. This is a slide from the superintendent's presentation to the Finance Committee. But just for those that are watching at home, I felt it was important to put up here because to me, and I think everyone needs to understand this, out of the school budget of 70, of the proposed budget of 73 million, 71 is actually in the, the uh, town administrator's budget, 78% of their budget is salary. So when we talk about cost drivers, for the schools, the biggest cost driver is salaries. The second biggest cost driver is directly linked to salaries, which is employee health benefits, Medicare costs, 9.5%. So you're looking at a school budget, you're at about 88% of the school budget is salaries and employee benefits that deal with employment. People, I've gotten so many questions about this recently. So, I just put up here some of the examples to make this presentation shorter. <laughs> these are examples, these are not all of the fixed costs. You heard this from Mr. Nutting for years, I know you did, because uh, I heard it from Mr. Nutting for years, and we've heard about it from every town manager for years. Our concern always in a whole budget, when we look at the whole, are fixed costs. I hope most families <laughs> do this too. Right out of the gate, some of the highlights. 582,000, right out of that 3.3 million, approximately. Not dollar for dollar, but I'm just trying to gauge everybody. These are fixed costs, 582,000 in pension assessments and benefits to the municipal employees. People look in the budget book, you will see huge success stories on how we've been able to manage the health insurance costs of the town. And I give Miriam and, uh, and Lisa Trainer and the entire school department a lot of credit um, for really trying to get on board with the uh, health savings account, the high deductible plan. It's been a huge success and has offset that cost substantially. The municipal cost of living adjustment. I did the numbers real quick. Uh, that alone at the 2.5% COLA for the municipal uh, departments, it's 560000 from last year to this year. 
right? But we know prop two and a half is two and a half percent. So we all made the decision that that was going to be where the max was because that's what we could afford under the prop two and a half limit. It's about an estimated $1 million increase from last year to this year just for inflation expenses alone. A million bucks right out of the gate. Electricity, gas, propane, diesel, supplies, parts, contractors. We're not even talking about diesel, fuel, all the cost increases at the DPW. Probably higher than a million bucks, but you know we're doing the best we can to manage those contracts as well. Um, there's gonna be some shuffling through the last year. I made this very clear in all my fiscal forecasts last year. Made it clear again this year. The facilities budget alone, just that one budget, the $1 million increase as you'll see in the voting document, just from inflation and just from the COLA for the, for the custodians and the non-union staff and the trade staff, right? So you're talking about 50, 60 employees um, who all deserve that and then inflation, that's 1 million bucks right along. And then the 17 to 19 million I just laid out here about all of the municipal budget stuff that pays for the school um, stuff, building and debt and interest, we just went through that, property and casualty insurance, workers' comp, snow removal, non-teacher pension costs, grounding and building maintenance utilities, fuel for the school van fleet, retired teacher and health insurance, some, some of our personnel shared costs. I could go on and on, that's just a small list, uh, but I just wanted to put it up there to make sure folks are really well aware of these issues. Most of those costs also are inflected by inflation, but I will say, and um, one of the benefits, if you look through the voting document and the deep in the narrative, retired teacher health and life insurance, those accounts are going down. Okay, so there is some accounts that are, that are going lower, and that's how we're able to fund a lot of what we're doing. People are gonna do the math and say, how could you fund all this? Well, that's one category and one line that's actually dipped a few hundred thousand um, in terms of the cost of that. So there is some movement in those line items in the positive. And just one of the things I think the public really needs to understand and, and, and is that there's a lot of smaller costs that add up. Just a couple examples there, the property and casualty and workers comp, it's a $125,000 increase over last year. This stuff all adds up. And I know it adds up as we're gonna see from the school department as well. I think it's adding up on everybody. OPEP, 50 grand, that's just, you know, another 50 grand, we don't think of it, but it's another 50 grand. Regional dispatch, almost 350,000. I think everyone's here is aware of that. Read the narrative if you don't. This was a slide presented at the FinCom uh, a few weeks ago from the superintendent. Again, I just want to note a $3 million increase in salaries. And you can then see on another slide that I didn't put up here that's before all of you, it's online, the superintendent did a great job walking through with Miriam at the presentation. They show another slide of their inflationary costs. Health insurance at 5.2%, out of district placement at 14%. There's a whole slew of cost increases on their side as well that are based on inflation. So ultimately, we all have to come to the reality as we will in a moment that inflation is really something to the budget. I tried to make this very easy for everybody to understand where the new discretionary spending is. Uh, I put into this budget proposal before you tonight, Mr. Chairman, and through you to the council, police and fire capital. We heard at the capital committee a strong message that curriculum, um, uh, turnout gear for our firefighters, uh, the tasers for our police officers, a lot of those annual expenses are being paid through capital. So I, I tried to do the best I can to fit in a little bit. As I mentioned at those meetings, they said we chip away at this year by year. But as you'll come to the realization soon, 
There's a reason why we pay for them through capital, because we can't really afford them in the operating budget. But there is 116,000 in there for those uh, items. Uh, there's in here four additional police officers at 331,000. Uh, as you heard from the chief uh, who did a long presentation, I sent that out to everybody at the finance committee meeting. Uh, not only does this have the benefit of dealing with the issues that we've had with traffic enforcement, road rage, speeding, uh, by far this is the number one complaint I get all the time, and I think the police do too. Um, but also in the future when you add the additional rotation, you save an additional 10 to 15% off that cost because you reduce your overtime budget. And as we'll hear from the chief, I'm sure somebody's gonna ask the question, one of the other issues is forced overtime. It's a changing world, or it has changed. Um, we are losing a competitive advantage in law enforcement, not just Franklin, law enforcement, due to forced overtime. We just had two police officers resign, late 20s, early 30s, last fall, right out of the gate, partially because of this issue. Because they're working more hours, and uh, younger generations are providing more time with their families, and sounds really good to me too. <laughs> I will assume that will happen for me. But no. anyways, uh, I, know, um, I know the council's very familiar with this issue. The senior center, the capital committee uh, voted to purchase the van. We have been without a van for the senior center for seven years since the regional agreement with Medway uh, broke down and Medway said you're on your own. Um, but you can't have a van without a driver. And we've come up with a couple of creative ways to make these half-time years. So it's a budget impact of 77,000. Uh, I'm sure folks want, uh, Danielle can walk through what that would be used for. Uh, and the second new discretionary is Gatcher rides. Um, it's a very, very long story. But for a long time, um, these, re these rides were being subsidized in various different ways through the pandemic. Jeff Roy's been really helpful in getting us money. But at some time, we need to put this line item in there or we will unquestionably see fewer people accessing the senior center. This is also a very important service we learned from the pandemic. Our paramedics personally went to people's homes that were isolated. There are a lot of seniors still struggling to get to their hospital and medical appointments. This will be used for trips, um, for social uh, interaction, as well as uh, trying to service those who are the most isolated to be able to get to their medical appointments. So that's the senior center issue. Uh, we are restructuring and working on some additional capacity and restructuring of efficiencies in the finance and HR offices. We have added in here 160,000 for two additional positions, which benefits both town and school operations. The real reality is, is there just simply is not anywhere near enough people down there to do everything. When I tell people all the time, when they ask me about analytics, myself, Chris do those mostly. Our time needs to be spent other places and um, we're barely getting payroll, we're barely getting deductions done correctly, we're barely getting the basic minimums done. There just needs to be more capacity down there um, for both town and school operations. Our fleet is eclipsing 200 pieces of apparatus. Um, at some point when you hit somewhere, you need a fleet manager to look at all those costs and make sure we're maintaining those vehicles well. This is within the DPW budget and generally they bring in the revenues to pay for these things. And then finally, uh, the non-discretionary discretionary is a cultural arts director which is in there for half a year at a full-time job as well as $10,000 for additional cultural council grants. 
and to also transition the town archivist at the historical museum part-time to full-time. Made a note down here, just to make sure the correlation is clear, that the fire department, as you'll hear about later, is bringing in a tremendous amount of more ambulance revenue, and so the revenue from that is really covering uh, the cost of the pandemic, the additional two paramedics. Very quick slide to illustrate the DPW. Stormwater is a big feature this year. One million was in the budget last year for stormwater. This year, uh, we're looking at uh, plugging in 600,000 for roads and 434,000 for snow and ice removal. This is critical for the capital committee members um, or those who have been on the capital committee before. This will essentially also free up 750,000 each year from a hold we do for excess snow and ice costs. So my hope is, is that we expect free cash to drop a little in the coming years, but with curriculum, technology, which still is a discussion this community really needs to have separately from even all of this about what our investments are on that. Um, cruisers, vehicles, public safety gear, public infrastructure, roads, fields, and facilities is, uh, is part of the capital program. So that's a positive there uh, in the budget. These are just some sample summary points. Inflation's now set. You can go into the narrative and read 10 more pages of the stuff, but this is a couple of the highlights. Inflation's now settled into the budget. I think everyone's gotten that point. I hope I'm not too depressing. Supply and demand. I think this is where the issue is, Mr. Chairman, with what the community conversation is these days. Competing demands, fixed costs, requests, new initiative and expectations just simply are far away. We're not even in the same galaxy, folks. Sorry. We're just not. And with our ability to pay and properly staff within the current tax levy structure. People go back to my memo from March 8, 2023. You will see in there assumptions at both a 7% increase for the schools, as well as a four and a, I think it was about 4.5% increase for the schools. I made it clear in that memo, neither scenario is remotely plausible. And I think I've just explained from the revenue side why that's not plausible within the tax levy. And the truth of the matter is, is the demand for service is just far outweighing our ability to pay this stuff. I know, I hope people like that I throw this in there every once in a while. Quality of life in this community is exceptional. We have to get out sometimes with those uh, tough messaging and, and really still look out the windows and realize that we're all very fortunate uh, to be a part of this community. And we are slightly victims of our own success. Um, people in this community get an incredible value of services for their money. Um, and I think I speak uh, for the superintendent as well. Uh, our community has an incredibly excellent reputation. Debt and interest, I won't bore people. I've said it 100 times. That is another line item that's decreasing in this year's budget by over $300,000. It's being sucked up and absorbed in other areas. When we want to go borrow money to do the 10-year high school projects with the visitor bleachers and the stands, when we need to do the Remington Jefferson remodel that has already been authorized, we want to go do a recycling center, if we want to do other borrowing for other projects like Barron Road or you name it, that number is going to go way up. You're, we're going to be paying at best, and if we don't maintain our AAA bond rating, which we really need to, you know, ultimately it's going to cut into the revenue source of the tax levy. Everything's interrelated here. Public also needs to be a little conscientious of the impact of cost increases to citizens. 
Property values have increased. Higher property values, last year was a $350 increase. The stormwater fee, which everybody's familiar with, uh, is, uh, is, is going into effect uh, this uh, summer. The bills will be going out in July. People will see that assessment on their water, sewer, trash, stormwater bills. The sewer rate uh, tomorrow night will be uh, official. Uh, it's going to be 20% as of July 1st, 15 in uh, 2024, and 10%. This is to pay for the 109-year-old Beaver Street Interceptor uh, pipe remodeling project over the next three years. If people don't like those percentages and we didn't do it, you'd be paying double or triple of those to clean up all the mess. But uh, the council and the community are absolutely <coughs> making the right decision on this. This is a huge risk management. One thing I am announcing tonight, Mr. Chairman, uh, the residential municipal aggregation, I had this on the slide last two weeks ago, it was ending and I wanted to warn everyone that the 34 cent national grid rate last winter, mm -hmm. ours was 10, cent, 10 and a half cents. Mm -hmm. Most people know about that. Most people also <clears throat> don't know about that. We dodged a huge bullet last year. We did. I'm proud to announce we're gonna dodge another bullet that this summer, the, the national grid rate is 14 cents. Your rate is still 10 and a half. So this summer, everyone's still gonna see a huge savings. Just last week, uh, a lucky leprechaun or something came through <laughs> and got a bid which no one expected that from November 2023 to October of 25, everyone will see still a stable 15 cent electricity rate for the next two years. It is anticipated National Grid's rate will be 19 to 20 cents next winter. People are going to save money, but they are still gonna see a five cent increase. Right. So this is a win, but yet still, we just wanna be cognizant of every taxpayer in town. There are middle class incomes, fixed incomes, or whatever. We know they're dealing with inflation. PFAS remediation, we heard all about that last week. I don't wanna talk about it anymore. It's just gonna be another water rate increase at some point to pay for egregious regulations from the EPA and the state. They're not financing this. They're putting the regulation on us and we're gonna borne the cost of this. And they still have not prohibited the chemicals that they want us to clean up. I'll end there. <laughs> Expected debt exclusion vote uh, on Tri-County. We heard about that from the finance committee meetings. Uh, that's probably gonna be this fall. <clears throat> And there's a list of other capital projects on there that I broke down earlier. Um, these cost increases certainly could be uh, issues as well. I raise the sustainability of all this. None of these cost increases or anything I've talked about is talking about net zero. It's not talking about sidewalk construction, road construction, uh, community development initiatives, athletic fields, facilities, mental health initiatives, reoccurring capital, we all could go on with all of the ideas we want, but I hopefully have painted a picture which a lot of these things are extremely challenging if we don't work together. And that's all aside of what the global economic situation is. So sharpening the pencils. Um, put up a slide again, hopefully people saw it last week. Um, you know, I'm going through a lot of the comments. The budget before the council tonight does not include these monies that I'm about to talk about now. We'll talk about that later. I'm sure there'll be some questions, Mr. Chairman. I did the aggregate historical Franklin Public School District annual increase from the town. People can see the annual increase in dollars. They can also see the percentage. We'd love to be back in 2019. I would be a huge supporter of this. I think everyone in this room 
is an enormous advocate for the public school district, including myself. But if you look a little closer with the asterisks, those numbers also paint a picture at non-sustainability. Why? One, almost $2 million in the town rainy day fund, the budget stabilization fund, was completely drained to zero in 2019 and 20 to pay for these cost increases. That's what it was there for, but it went to zero. <clears throat> that's not good for AAA bond rating agencies. That's bad for emergency funding sources. We've built that reserve back up to $3 million, and as we've all heard from our auditors, don't tap into it. Rainier days will come. Just a list here quickly of other appropriations, over four million in capital in the last six years. We've also done, the council's approved several huge authorizations, and obviously people are familiar with the federal stimulus monies, uh, both for the schools and the, and the town contributions as well. So there has been a lot of infusion and support from the, uh, from the council and the community on these things. So my first recommendation, uh, which I would recommend we do uh, later on in June, just to make some of the triage, but uh, we expect another 250,000 in, um, I should have mentioned a minute ago, and I apologize, the average annual increase at 2.5% for the schools is 1.78 million. So our target is really 1.8 million to get them to the 2.5% over last year, okay, and get them to their annual increase that they normally get. So these reductions is what I would suggest from the budget before you, eliminate the capital gear. We know we can fund that next year and the council approved that already for this year's program. Reduce the facilities budget by 100,000 for lawn watering. We did this during the pandemic. Mother Nature did a great job taking care of this. I think we can let go of some money and let rain take care of things. Reduce 50,000 from snow and ice operations and transfer 250,000 from the MEC stabilization account Still leave 625,000 in there, but it does help us get to our goal right now. Um, and I just want to note, nobody in this room or listening should be shocked next year when the full 1.4 to 1.5 million of regional dispatch comes on the books. FY25, that's when it comes back on. So don't ask me where it came from. It's there. That's about another 766,000, which gets the school budget increase to 1.8 million. This could be a little bit higher, a little bit lower, but we would, my proposal would be, is to make the adjustments, Mr. Chairman, on June 7th uh, or June 21st with the stuff we can do. We still have to wait till July to see the final conference committee budget from the House and Senate, and then we can make a budget adjustment vote for that additional revenue. I just plan, the key is, is doing this before the school year starts, so that they can make their salary commitments and, and do all the adjustments they need to do in the school. <clears throat> a second backup, which should hopefully help alleviate some of the expenses. Obviously, we're open to all ideas and questions and comments from the council. This is your hearing. By Labor Day, um, I am really hoping that the outer district placement issue is solved. I know Jeff and Becca have both heard from all of us. We've written a lot of letters. Um, we've commented on it. It's about a $775,000 increase from the assessment. Uh, the school department sent a letter last fall. If the state were to pay for this out of the billionaire's tax or some other mechanism, <coughs> it would save $700,000, $775,000 from the school budget. That's a lot of money. So I will say I am struggling hard to understand how this cannot be a priority for the legislature. Statewide, the total is $93 million. 
They have an almost $60 billion budget. And it's frustrating. Um, they're, they're aware of my frustration. <laughs> but that, that's a huge amount of money. Um, just can't let it go. Uh, streamlined finance, that will save. We have had incredibly productive question, uh, meetings with the superintendent, assistant superintendent, and HR director. I just thank them a lot for really being open-minded. We've had really great meetings, and I think there'll be a little savings there, uh, hopefully for the school department and their expenditures. And the mental health task force, I know the schools have a task force. Um, we still have ARPA funds, opioid settlement funds available. Um, when the deputy town administrator starts, I'm hoping that working with the school district, we can <coughs> elevate that, that task force out of just the school community and make it more of a community-wide um, initiative where maybe some of those opioid settlement funds, additional ARPA funds, and other, other one-time revenues can help pay for some of those issues that might relieve some of the expenses uh, on the school district. I just want to note all of these adjustments can be made at any point before November. Before we set the tax rate, that's when all this stuff needs to be. Uh, moving forward uh, through the summer of 2023 and beyond, uh, the town administration, again, this is from, uh, if people are going to get our arms around this issue, I just have to say it. We have got to sacrifice as a community and as elected officials. We have to sacrifice other things to fix this issue. I think this is one of the most substantial issues of why the budget has gotten to the point it is. We have to sacrifice other wish list items that we want to spend staff time on to make sure we are all really looking through this carefully so that if someday the, the grassroots in Franklin arise and look for some sort of override or tax increase, we've done everything we can. This is really, really really important in my view. Um, and it's hard to say no. It's hard to tell other folks we can't do those things yet, I'm sorry. But this is a commitment that is probably the biggest thing we need to deal with. I've committed to facilitating an educational meeting with the town attorney and myself on the legal procedures of ballot questions, election details and ethics laws for public employees. I've gotten the most questions about this issue over the last several months maybe the last year um, and so we will do this so that everyone understands it did some of the slides at the FinCom they were really well received I got a lot of positive feedback on it we're happy to have another public conversation with it I already talked about the restructuring of that office and we need to work together to develop a process and a blueprint for a comprehensive community-wide financial roadmap for the future and it has to be a commitment of the school committee the finance committee and the council to bring the joint budget subcommittee together um, to start looking at these issues. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. You exceeded your time. <laughs> Not surprised. Nor, nor, nor am I surprised. Uh, I want to apologize for just a moment. Uh, if I've been sitting up here with a scowl on my face, it's because we are currently not on TV. And... Uh, on. We just got on. Yeah. Literally two seconds ago. So the first part was taped and will be re-shown. But the first part they were showing the finance committee and not showing us, which is why I got up 
my phone was knocking uh, off the desk table here. So, uh, Did they show at least the same 40 minutes? Yeah. We can only hope, Jamie. We can only hope. Uh, okay. Thanks, Jamie. And as usual, thank you for the detailed and informative overview, as well as the sobering reality of what the community is facing. As we open the FY24 budget hearing, I'd like to make a brief comment about how everyone who is listening can begin to turn a corner and work together to solve the financial challenges that Jamie just spoke to. As a legislative body of the town of Franklin, town council has a difficult yet crucial role in approving a balanced annual budget on behalf of the entire community. As elected leaders of the community, we represent every constituency and demographic. The youth, adults, parents, seniors, veterans, those with dis disabilities, and so on. We are oftentimes in the difficult position to be the checks and balances of our town government. <clears throat> Similar to the school committee, the annual budget process can be the most difficult endeavor the council undertakes each year, especially when we are facing fiscal constraints or uncertain economic conditions. As we also sometimes we lose sight of the bigger picture. No matter what happens this week or this summer, we are all very fortunate to be a part of this great community. And we should be very grateful for the entire school and town staff for the incredible work they do. We must all agree that not every request, whether from the municipal departments or the school department can be fully funded every budget year. This year's story is actually not much different than in the past. Would it be easy if the council could just say yes to every budget request? Absolutely, we'd love to. Would it be fiscally responsible to the taxpayers of this community? Absolutely not. In my three decades of volunteering on both the school committee and the town council, I can't recall a year where all budget requests were met. It's never happened and nor should. We should always encourage our staff to request new ideas and services as much as we all need to learn to set expectations correctly. This brings us to where we are today. We have to live within our means, just like every family in Franklin has to do. With inflation and skyrocketing costs of doing business, this means we need to make difficult decisions. <clears throat> not always popular decisions. <clears throat> this is what we sitting here this evening are elected to do. 
The one item that sticks out to me throughout this past year has been what I'll refer to as a lack of communication and coordination between the town part of the government and the school part of the government. By not, and, and understand what I'm saying here, this is, by not creating the space, time, and priority to dig deeper into our budgets, Many people who've recently reached out to me, as well as my fellow counselors, seem to feel completely off guard by what they are hearing. Notably, some redundancies at the schools. We are all stakeholders in this process. Our decisions affect all residents. We have had the right elected leaders, I believe, the right leaders in Jamie and Lucas, the best staff in the right forum in the Joint Budget Subcommittee, which for those who don't know is made up of council members, school committee members, and finance committee members, which are really the subcommittees of each of those committees dealing with the budget. But what we've lacked is the discipline to sacrifice other priorities and ideas and focus on the most important thing we do every year. The single most important thing the town council has for a job is to set the annual budget. And we should be more focused on it. After the budget hearings, after all the budget hearings are concluded, I hope, as uh, Jamie alluded to in one of his slides, the school committee will join the town council and the finance committee in agreeing to Jamie's recommendations at the end of the slideshow. Folks, if the community wants to see the cycle of budget uncertainty end, then we must reduce time spent on other projects and really focus together, creating solutions to solve the structural budget deficit. We must occupy greater space on our agendas, even if that means sacrificing other ideas. We can accomplish more working together than separately. Pitting one group against another is divisive and still will not resolve the budget issue at hand. We need to establish, and I'll say it again, a one Franklin mentality and a pledge to sacrifice other ideas and projects and refocus on what solutions are available to move the community forward. Sorry for the lengthy statement, but I felt the necessity to do it. I now ask, uh, I'd like to offer the chair of the school committee, Denise Spencer, an opportunity for a brief comment. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, so the education and well-being of our students is of the utmost importance to the entire school committee. Our job is to advocate for the schools and the resources necessary to provide a high-quality education. 
As an elected official, it is our job to submit an annual budget while also addressing as many of the priority needs of the Franklin schools as possible. As I have learned over the past four years, this is no simple task to balance these two. As we all know, this will be a challenging year. We expect significant setbacks to continue to core services in both the school and municipal departments. The future holds serious fiscal concerns. Given the financial constraints facing Franklin as chair of the school committee, I do understand the need for the town administrator and town council to recommend a level of funding that is less than our request to create and adopt a balanced budget for the entire community. Moving forward, we are prepared to continue our work with town administration and town council to have healthy, productive discussions and to work collaboratively for the benefit of all taxpayers while continuing to address our school priorities. Despite whatever challenges come our way, we remain steadfast in our commitment to support one another throughout. At the end of the day, we all need to work together to develop a process and strategy that can invest more in our community. We as the school committee look forward to this challenge. Thank you very much. Thank you, Denise. Okay. Uh, just to explain the hearing, the public hearing this evening, and the outline, process, and instructions. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, I'll give a brief set of protocols we use at the annual budget hearing. In a few minutes, the illustrious Councillor Jones will read through the voting document, <coughs> department by department. Everybody's coughing over that. I can't understand why. Uh, counselors will signal a hold on any department they wish to ask questions, raise points, or offer comments about during the hearing. Once the council is done with any department, I will ask if there are any further questions or comments from the public, and that will be department by department. If someone has a comment or question, please raise your hand, either in person or on Zoom land. When that department is asked to speak by the council, we will go in numerical order throughout the voting document, starting at the top. At the end of each hearing, I will ask if there is any additional public comments on the budget. I would ask this won't be popular. I would ask that all department heads please stay for the entirety of this evening in the hopes of all questions and comments are completed. As is tradition, we will do the best we can to alleviate the need for your attendance at the second hearing tomorrow evening. However, Jamie will let you know if attendance is required tomorrow of any department head for any reason. Finally, as a reminder to everyone on the council and everyone watching, while the council has final authority over the bottom line item spending for each department, the school committee has the sole authority on how to spend the money within the allocation appropriated by the council, as well as the revolving funds. The council has zero authority on how to spend the money allocated to the schools. So as is custom, this is, I'll add a little levity here, uh, the Fab Five budgets that will automatically be held are 192, 
public properties and buildings. Jamie commonly refers to as facilities. 210 police, 220 fire, 300 Franklin Public Schools, and 422 DPW. And I'm sure the only people out here this evening that will identify with the Fab Five are probably over 40. And anyone who can tell me who the Fab, fab Five were, get 50,000 in their budget. <laughs> Google's not allowed. Uh, okay, and now I'll pass it over to the Franklin Town Clerk, Glenn Jones, to, I'm sorry, Town Council Clerk. Sorry, Nancy. Uh, Glenn Jones, never to confuse the two. Uh, Glenn Jones to begin the budget hearing proceedings. I would never want her. She does such a great job. All right. Um, Mr. Chairman, just to make clear to you, the council and to the audience at large, I will be reading the town voting document. Um, just to make a note as to what exactly on this document I will be reading, uh, I will be reading each line item based on the department's account number, based on its department number. I will be reading its department and I will be reading the town administrators, just for anyone who's reading the document. I will be reading the town administrator's recommended amount, which is actually the same as the finance committee recommended amount, but since this is the town administrator giving us this, this, this information, I'll read that number. Uh, you will see other information documented here, but that is the fourth column on this document. <clears throat> Mr. Chairman, uh, Department 111, Town Council, expenses uh, $8,000, town administrator rec recommended, a maximum of the whole. Um, department number 123, town administrator. Um, oh. Who was that? Ryan. Okay. Um, can, I rec can I recommend that people call that for the same Yeah, sorry. That, yeah. yeah, that's okay. Um, department 123, town administrator, uh, personal services, $633,816. Expenses, $59,782 for total for town administrator, $693,598. Ryan's holding up. I've got a Department 131, uh, Finance Committee expenses, $1,500, total $1,500. Uh, Department 135, Comptroller, uh, Personal Services, $702,487. Expenses, $85,800, for a total of $788,287. Uh, Who is that, Cody? Department 141, Board of Assessors, uh, Board of Assessors, Personal Services, $368,198. Expenses, $104,900, for a total of $473,098. Department 147, Treasurer Collector, Personal Services, $442,959. Expenses, $91,105, for a total $534,064. Department 151, Legal Services, uh, Personal Services, $125,105. Uh, with expenses of $60,000 for a total of $185,105. Department 152, Human Services, Personnel Services, $260,903, $38,650 in expenses for a total of $299,553. Department 155, Information Technology, um, Personnel Services, $36,952. Expenses, 
$457,215 for a total of $494,167. Town Clerk, 100, Department 161, Personnel Services, $235,340 with expenses of $20,850 for a total of $256,190. Uh, Department 164, Election and Registrations, uh, Personnel Services, 19480 uh, uh, Total Expenses, 55700 for a total of 75180 uh, Department 176, Oil Board of Appeals, $9,000 for expenses. Department 177, Planning and Growth Management, Personal Services, $445,416. Expenses, $32,300. For a total of $477,716. Department 184, Agricultural Commission, Expenses, $1,000. Department 192, Public Property and Buildings, uh, Personal Services, $3,312,473. Expenses, $5,297,200 for a total of $8,609,637. Department 196, Central Services, $167,000 in expenses for a subtotal of general government, $13,067,095. Department 210, Police, which has already been held. Personnel Services, $6,652,000. 746 with expenses of 372,931 for a total for police seven million dollars twenty six thousand six hundred seventy seven dollars department 220 fire six million five hundred twenty nine thousand one hundred seventy three dollars with expenses of seven hundred twenty nine thousand dollars for a total for fire seven million two hundred fifty eight thousand one hundred seventy three that's already been held Department 225, Regional Dispatch, total expenses, $958,670. Department 240, Inspection Services, uh, Personnel Services, $432,336. Expenses, $14,512, for a total of $446,848. No. No. Department 292, Animal Control. Uh, $92,700 in expenses for a subtotal of public safety, $15,782,068. Uh, schools, Department 300, Franklin Public Schools, expenses, $71,252,779. That's a hold. Um, Department 390, Tri-County Regional School Systems, $2,775,000. Uh, Norfolk Aggie, Department 395, 66,660. Total for schools, $74,094,439. Department 422, Department Highway, this is under DPW, Personnel Services, 668104 with total expenses $1,095,100 for a total of $1,762,204. That's already been held. Uh, Department 422, DPW Park and Tree, Personnel Services $560,477. Expenses $562,251. For total for Park and Tree, $1,123,728. 
Department 422, DPW Snow and Ice. Personnel expenses, 250,000. Total expenses, 1,217,500 for a total of 1,472,500 for Snow and Ice. Uh, Department 422, DPW Central Motors. Personal services, 272,169. Expenses, 713,500. For a total of $985,669 for Central Motors. Department 422, DPW Recycling, Personal Services, 89,492 with expenses of 149,000. For a total for recycling, 238,492. Department 422, DPW Administration, Personal Services, uh, 207,875. Expenses, 213,300. For a total for administration, 421,175. Department 422 DPW Stormwater, nothing uh, for this fiscal year. Department 422 DPW Street Lighting Expenses, $65,000. And DPW Line Department 424 Street Lighting uh, is also taken off our list this year. A subtotal for Department of Public Works, $6,069,768. A uh, Department of Public Works has done five. 510 Board of Health, personal services 294,711, expenses 48,400, for a total Board of Health 343,111, Department 541 Council on Aging, uh, personal services 607,649, total expenses of 32,100, for a total for Council on Aging 640,749. Department 543 Veteran Services, uh, Personal Services, 106,393, expenses 11,115, Veteran Services, $165,000, for a total for Veteran Services, $282,508, for a subtotal of Human Services, $1,266,368. Uh, Department 610 Library, Personal Services, $810,468, Expenses, $282,000. For total for the library, $1,092,468. Oh, cool. Who was that? Kobe? Kobe and Brian. Department 630, Recreation. Uh, $463,765 for personal expenses. Um, expenses, $277,000 for total for recreation. $740,765. Hold. Hold. <laughs> Department six nine. That's just so Ryan has to stay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we like to bug him. Department six nine. <laughs> Historical Museum personal expenses seventy three thousand nine hundred twenty eight dollars. Expenses three thousand. Total for Historical Museum seventy six thousand nine hundred twenty eight. Historical commissions. Department six ninety one four thousand dollars. Uh, Department 695 Cultural Council, $25,000. Hold. Department 696 Cultural District uh, Committee expenses, $1,000. Subtotal for culture and recreation, $1,940,161. Uh, Department 710, Debt Services, Principal, Expenses, $4,072,000, Total 
Uh, Department 750 debt services and interest and expenses, $2,108,250 for a subtotal on debt and interest of $6,180,250. Department 910 employee benefits, $15,101,071. Um, total a subtotal for employee benefits fifteen million one hundred one thousand seventy one dollars. Department nine forty five risk management uh, seven hundred seventy five thousand dollars. Subtotal liability insurance seven hundred seventy five thousand dollars. The total all general fund one hundred thirty four million two hundred seventy seven thousand two hundred and twenty three dollars. Department 434, solid waste budget, um, personal expenses, 132806 expenses, $2,682,832 for a total and subtotal of $2,815,639. Uh, Department 440, sewer budget, personal services, $935,104, expenses, $3,995,550. Uh, debt principal, 768703 Debt interest, 315470 For a subtotal on sewer of $6,014,827. Department 450 water budget, personal services, $1,694,900. Expenses, $2,446,045. Debt principal, $2,107,204. Debt interest, $558,233. For a subtotal on water of six million eight hundred six thousand three hundred eighty-two dollars. Department four sixty stormwater budget personal expenses three hundred thirty-four thousand one seventeen. Expenses seven hundred thousand. For a subtotal on stormwater of one million thirty-four thousand one hundred seventeen dollars. Total enterprise funds sixteen million six hundred seventy thousand nine hundred sixty-five dollars. For a total operating budget of one hundred fifty million. $948,187. Thank you, Councillor Jones. Once again, I have a nice So, we will now go back to the beginning of the document and go through the holds. First hold uh, was on Town Council 8,000, held by Councilor Jones. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, for you, Jamie. 200% um, increase? Otherwise known as a $4,000 aggregate increase. Just so we're clear, the line item has always been $4,000. Yeah. The Mass Municipal Association dues are now, to be a member, are now exceed well above $4,000. There's also a couple thousand in there because uh, counselors have been, which is a good thing, I think. Counselors have been also going to uh, MMA seminars, the MMA conference, and I think it is our obligation, whereas maybe in the past, maybe a lot of counselors didn't attend those events. Um, as we get newer people, having a little lecture there to make sure that they're able to go to those events is, is, is in my view, a wise, a wise investment. So it's an increase overall of $4,000. Thank you. 
None of it goes to you, Glenn. Unless you go to the MMA conference. Unless you go to the MMA conference. What? It's not my 15-year anniversary? Yes. Okay. Any other questions on town council? Anyone in the public that would like to ask a question on the town council? Okay, seeing none, I will move to the next item, uh, which is Department 123, Town Administrator, uh, Councilor Chandler. Thank you, Mr. Chandler, through you. To uh, the Town Administrator first, obviously. Thank you for this book. It's a hell of a lot of work, a lot of work. And I went through every bit of this and I appreciate all your hard work Thank and your whole team. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And there's no fat here, obviously. But I did find one vacant job in your budget for 45000 And once again, and with that money, if it's if we're not going to hire somebody, you know, I mean, I would like to use that money maybe to give to music, or maybe Chief Lynch could send a local kid to the academy with that money. I just didn't. I need to hear from you how important that forty-five thousand is to your budget. Sure. Thank you, through you, Mr. Chairman. Actually, you, you you threw a curveball. I was like forty-five thousand. That doesn't sound like a salary, and I got nervous for like I got nervous for one second, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Um, I for, I didn't forget, but um, the the vacancy in my office is for a full time <coughs> half year position uh, titled the director of public art and cultural initiatives, and um, so that's we're anticipating based on the compensation and classification study that salary would be somewhere in the range of eighty to ninety five thousand based on the market of what we're seeing in other communities that have that position. And as you know really well, Councilor Chandler, um, it's a little bit of a trick. You could put in the full year, right? Say at 90, but then we'd have to cut somewhere else. And so this is a frequent uh, policy decision a lot of municipalities employ you put them in for half a year um, and thought, you know, with the deputy TA coming on over the summer and just the length of time it takes to get these things done, we thought this was an easy one to say, you know, let's aim for next winter um, for that position. So that position is in there. Um, I think it's a, I think as your fellow colleagues have had a, list, a recent listening tour with a lot of the folks in the arts community, um, I will say that all three meetings, I think everyone would agree, were excellent. Um, we had way more attendance than I thought we were gonna have. I thought we were gonna be eating all the bagels at the end, and the bagels were actually gone with folks that came. Um, and in all, in all seriousness, it, it really was quite inspiring. And I think it actually kind of showed that maybe this was the right investment and the right decision. Um, I think ultimately we all see a missed opportunity in this community around arts and culture. We know that the various boards and committees have kind of struggled to figure out who's doing what. And it seemed at least from the listening sessions, but even before that, I think we were, maybe, maybe that was confirmed as opposed to new. Um, that an investment, this eventually hopefully will pay for itself because the study we did three years ago with MAPC showed there was tens of millions of dollars leaving Franklin to go eat out and go shop in other communities. That may seem like a stunner to some folks, but it's really true. 
And I think with with all the other, with the World Cup coming and a whole bunch of other uh, great efforts out there, you know, we hope to get people to stay over here. We have a fourth hotel going up. Hopefully that provides some additional revenue. Meals tax, hotel, uh, and the cannabis excise tax all is purchasing. So there is a revenue source that may come from that. I don't think it would be immediate, Council Chandler. You know, it takes a couple years for this to really mature. Um, but, um, you know, I think, uh, I hope I stand with a lot of folks that, that that's been something the community's been looking to invest in for a while. Eventually, this will not be in my budget. If this is approved this year, and it's something that we can sustain, I think ultimately you would see it as a separate department at some point down the line. Thank you. Right, Mr. Yeah, I just was looking for anything to even give them. That's all I could come up with. We're trying. I understand it stood the uh, Council Chandler. And just to clarify your comment, because I want to make sure that everybody understands, if we were to cut something and move it to the schools, that's all we could do is move it to the schools. We cannot give it to music. We cannot give it to science. We cannot give it to math. That is the school committee's decision and prerogative. And I know what Councilor Chandler was referring to. We have had hundreds of emails uh, to the council from music boosters, music participants within the school system. And I just want to really make it clear that no matter whether we take a dollar from the school committee or give a dollar to the school committee, uh, school department, we can't tell them how to spend it. So uh, looking for these programs, really the place you should be, uh, not only here, but is at the school committee, uh, talking to them about why one program was cut over another. So thank you, I appreciate it. Okay. Any other questions on town administrator from the council? Councilor Cormier-Ledger. Not a question, Mr. Chairman, but just a comment. Sure, please okay? do. Um, having said in the arts and culture, uh, listening to our ad hoc committee, I think it's important to point out to the public, not only did we hear overwhelming <coughs> support for that position, but also, unfortunately, this summer, we're not gonna have the Franklin Cultural Festival because volunteers just couldn't sustain it. So the hope is that this position will pick up that baton, give some leadership to the volunteers, and bring that event back for next year. Why do I bring that event up? Because that had over 8,000 people at it that came to our town that spent over $400,000 in a day to support our arts and our businesses and our restaurants and stayed in our hotels and put money back into our businesses. So there's an economic impact directly to this position. And I think people just need to understand that I think that position is going to more than fund itself, but it's very important that people not see that as just a fluff for the arts. Like there's been a lot of thought put into how can that position really help the budget and bring revenues in to help the budget. Thank you, Councilor Cormiela. Councilor Frangelo? I was, I was going to say something very similar. So <laughs> uh, thank you for recognizing me. Thank you. And you have a Councilor Hamlin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, um, through, the, through the chair, to the audience, I guess. And I just I want, want people to know that you know there was an art symposium here in town also that was fabulous. 
Um, every dollar spent, this is what they say, every dollar spent on art and culture, you get $7 back. And this is part of our plan on how we build revenue to be able to pay for the things that we want to see here in town. Not only just art and culture, but everything else. And it's all gonna help each other. It's part of the teamwork. Um, and and um, I just, uh, I thank the town administrator for putting together the listening sessions as well as my fellow colleagues, uh, Council Frangillo and Council Corbin Leisure. It was wonderful to talk with people. It was inspiring. Um, and um, so, but I will stop there. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. <laughs> Thank you, Councilor Hendry. Is there anyone in the audience that would like to speak to uh, 123, Department 123 Town Administrator? Anyone out there in Zoom land? Okay, we will move on. Next uh, department held is Department 135 Controller, uh, Councilor Fungillo. Yeah, uh, thank you, through you. Um, I, I was just hoping you could expand a little more on the Controller and Treasurer shift. What does that actually look like? Uh, why, do you, why is it worth it? Yeah. So through you, Mr. Chairman, I think in short, um, I think both town and school operations, the treasurer obviously collector's office is just a municipal department, but just so the public understands, it is a department overseen by the finance director, right? So it's kind of, that's the pyramid kind of structure. Um, ultimately, I, I, I feel like I need to be transparent about it in the sense that um, in my eight years here, I think since the uh, everyone moved into this building, um, you know, 20 years ago, I just think that at the end of the day, the people who have been here were kind of like for a long time, almost like one and a half employees. Like Karen Alves was like more than just one employee, right? The institutional knowledge, the systems that have been built, uh, we're working through right now with the superintendent on trying to say, you know, in Munis, why do we have one process for schools to do payroll, a second process for us? Um, you know, we've talked about in HR, for example, the need for electronic, um, you know, files and personnel records. I'll be honest, we have not even, we've barely touched that project. And the reason why we've barely touched that project is because Karen's time and Stacy's time, as well as the new HR director for the schools and Sue Childers and everyone down there, are in nothing but the day-to-day -day mode of just catching up to what has to get done for that day. And so nothing strategic, it's no, it's no criticism on the employees and the quality of the folks that we have. I mean, we are AAA bond rating community for a reason. Um, I think you've all heard from our auditors. I think both the schools and the town have always had great audits, but that's because of the high quality of people there. But the pandemic has shown the gaps of where we really need to focus in and streamline those services. The jobs over the next they're already difficult now. The next year, year after that, year after that, they are going to get more and more complicated with analytics and metrics and collective bargaining and legal situations and grievances, you name it. All of the work that we do is just piling up and up and up and up. And at some point, um, our teams work very well together, um, but at some point we need additional staff there. It is literally just not sustainable. I would also mention those are the two departments that do not have deputy deputies at all. Our finance, school finance, 
town finance, and HR. None of those departments have a backup. Um, it's the department head and then the rank and file staff. And uh, with the workflow that's happening, with Munis coming on with a module for stormwater, like all of these things just on the day-to-day -day payroll, deductions, paychecks are wrong or right, you know, quality control. Um, I wish I could come out today and show you a beautiful org chart and say the, the situation's done. Uh, I just would say that um, the school administration and our team have worked on a few meetings over the last couple months um, and have made incredible progress. And I hope that by the time we get to like the new school year, maybe, you know, in the fall, um, we'll hopefully be able to talk more publicly about exactly how well the moves will go. But it's a systemic process we have to obviously go through. Um, and so, um, you know, the work is just piling up. Um, I will say, I do want to, we have made some inroads with the electronic, with, with um, personnel records, but a year ago we hoped to have a real head start. We've looked at the vendors, we've dealt with some state bid contracts, we've looked at procurement, some other things, um, but, um, you know, we're obviously not where we want to be. And um, where we want to be is we want our department heads, um, including the schools and the town, we want them to be part of strategic planning that we talked about earlier not doing payroll day to day, triaging and picking up and doing random work that really should be done by another rank and file employee. And so um, that's really the real nexus of why an additional investment in those two positions. It may be that those two positions are exactly as outlined, 80,000, 80,000, but it really is probably gonna be a little more, a little less, I don't know, but it's just trying to earmark funds to make sure that we can do that. Um, I would hope that by the time we get to November, and by the time you set the tax rate, we'll be able to have a firm structure and org chart, cost it out, show people where the money is, what was saved, and if we need to make any adjustments to make sure the school department's whole on that stuff, we're absolutely happy to do it. You know, but obviously we're just in the infancy of this, so I can't really talk in too many more details. I hope that helps a little bit, Council for Joe. Just, just a little, you know. That helps. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I, you pointed out really the main reason why I asked, which is, you know, yeah, we want to be great at, at everything. It seems like their job is partly to make sure that they're good audit, that we have the best possible audit. So um, why would we need more? And then the other thing was, you know, sort of if we're looking for process efficiencies or um, sort of structural changes, those feel like shorter term, like possible contracts with bringing in an expert as opposed to like a to our, that, that's no, it's a great point by Council for Joe. That will, there likely will be that um, that little slice of operational audit of that kind of expert, which does cost money. Uh, but even beyond that, um, I would the only thing I would contradict is um, is that these are not easy. Uh, Munis is ex extremely difficult. In fact. My educated guest tells me some of that funding is going to go towards hopefully a munis administrator, which was a recommendation from an outside department. Foxborough just did this. And somebody to work on security privileges. I mean, I, I don't want to get into like really nerdy financial stuff, but you know, really working with Tyler Technologies and the dashboards. The one benefit the town does have, most towns do not have one financial system to which everybody works from. So from a software licensing, all that perspective, Tim and the schools and everybody have done a great job on that over the years. So that's one cost that we won't have to increase. It's really just making sure we have the right staff structure and make sure we're actually building capacity. 
One thing also, and I appreciate that, Councilor Chandler, so much about that comment, because a lot of hard work does go into this. This, the budget that's put out now is probably not going to be enough for the community down the line. If you look at more mature communities, they do have the Norwoods, Needham's, Natix, they all have full-time budget analysts in their departments too. Um, that is something, you know, I, I mean, I'm writing that thing that he's talking about. You know, the staff chip in, but it's like a team effort of like four or five folks. All departments, right? Carrie, Chris, myself, and Karen are doing all that. Like, this is part of helping Lucas, myself, Tina, everyone get away from budget production and drafting and writing uh, on weekends um, and try to have somebody who can actually do a lot of these cost out, these metrics, um, public records requests, all that type of stuff as well. Just a little more context. Thank you. It was helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Frontillo. Any other uh, questions from the Council on the controller? Anyone in the audience? Anyone out on Zoom land? Okay, we will move on to Treasurer Collector. Uh, again, that was held by Councilor Frondilli. It was addressed. Yeah, it was addressed. Okay, that's what I thought. Is, since that was a health department, is there any questions from the audience on uh, the Treasurer Collector? Any questions out there in Zoom land? There's a few second delay, so I kind of have to wait a couple of seconds here. Okay, seeing that, we will move on. Uh, next department held 164 election and registration. I guess my. Sure, come forward. Thank you. <laughs> Elections uh, are expensive. <laughs> 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 Don't ask me why I need so many bins. <laughs> I, uh, really, my, my, my question was just that to address the so-called elephant in the room, the elections that we will, we know we have a tri-county election. Correct. We know what, we have our annual election how we budgeted properly to deal with those two that we are currently doing. Of course. So what I did is I basically took our election and did times two. We have the tri-county election and I will be getting dollar for dollar back from tri-county. But I have to front those dollars. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I have a good rapport with the companies that you know print our ballots. I want to keep that. So that money will be given right back to us. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> Thank you. That's what I wanted everybody to hear. All right. Uh, Councilor DeLarco. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, answer, just, just so the public knows, uh, with the, the new the couple new elections we're going to have, how much does each election cost the town? Just so people would not corrupt. So it's tough. So the Tri-County is only eight hours, where a town election we have people coming in from 5 a.m. because we open the doors at 6 a.m. So we have to set up. So 5, 5.30, people start rolling in. And we could be there as late as 9, 9.30. Mm -hmm. um, so, and with the town election, I have a lot more people than with Tri-County. So I basically cut the staff in half with the Tri-County election. Mm -hmm. So I think I budgeted $9,000 um, for the Tri-County election. Okay, is that right? 
so people so know that. that 18,000 is, is the number you were looking for. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to gauge, though, you know? Yeah. I mean, you don't know how many people are coming. And then with um, vote by mail, you know, if yeah. we get an influx of requests, we have a lot of people, we have a lot of election workers that come in and aid us. So. Okay, and you pay them accordingly? We pay them, the election workers get paid minimum wage. I would love to give them more money because they are amazing, amazing people. I'm telling you, we have the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And thank you, Debbie, because you brought a lot of those on. But even now, I mean, the wardens, amazing people. You know, they're always willing to help. They're right there. When I call them, they, they come running. Uh, I bet you they like working for you a lot better than Debbie. <laughs> right Kobe <laughs> we had to hold a special election for Kobe um, so it's basically the same we open our doors at 6 a.m. we do um, absentee and now we do in person vote by mail the hours are 6 to 8 and same exact way we run a town election or a state election thank you you're welcome thank you we have nine precincts and now with advanced deposit and advanced opening that's where I store all the ballots right so they are secure and you know it I, I can show you all the bins <laughs> that are stored um, in a cage that is at the DPW locked. I'm the only one with the key, but that's the reason why I need all those bins. So I use nine a day with advanced opening and advanced deposit. Nine a day, sometimes more. It's a lot of bins. <laughs> And I, and I actually called the company and struck a deal with them for a discount on those bins because we buy in bulk. Right, Deb? Excellent. Uh, any other counselors? Anyone in the audience have a question on uh, election and registration department 164? Anyone out there in Zoom land? Thank you, Nancy. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Next department held is 192, uh, which is one of the Fab Five uh, public property and buildings. I'll start this one off. Uh, Mike, Jamie's already gone through the inflation costs in the budget. Can you tell us any initiatives that are changing the paradigm in your budget to save money? Like composting at schools, which I know. So 
there are a whole group of us working on this composting initiative in the schools. Um, Calling the food service manager for the school department, uh, Derek from the DPW, um, Richard. It, it started a few a previous year. Kathleen was involved in it with the health department, and a someone, uh, a student that she had brought on as an intern for six months. But what we've what we've been able to accomplish this year is. We started with Keller Sullivan, um, bringing both schools online, doing all food composting. So we go there, we teach the kids how to do it on the first day. Uh, they, they pick it up really quick, the little <coughs> elementary kids, the middle school kids. Uh, last Friday, we just brought the third complex online. So Remington Jefferson started after the first of the year in February. Uh, last Friday, Horace Mann and Oak Street came online. So what we're doing is trying to get all food out of the trash stream. That's So all the kids come up after they eat, they sort all their food, they put trash in the trash. Uh, we have compost bins. It's actually a company out of Maine that uh, picks up all our compost and they bring it up. They're actually headquarters in Portland, but they bring it up around Bangor, Maine where it goes into a big digesters that actually heat a dairy farm up there. So they get a benefit out of that just from the heat give off from the digesters. But it was interesting last Friday when we did Horace Fan and Oak Street is all the weight that we usually throw away is really in food and it's in liquid and dumping out. So the milk is dumped by the kids into a separate bucket that we dispose of. All the food is put just into a compost bin. And one of the things, uh, Kevin Houlihan, the day custodian over there, is there was hardly any trash that we were actually coming out with. And what's that, what that's really gonna mean is we do pay for the compost bins, um, but on the other hand, our trash going into our compactors, especially at these big schools, is decreasing dramatically. Before school ends this year, uh, we made contact with Kennedy and Parmenter, and we're gonna bring those on before school ends. And then at the beginning of next year, we're gonna be moving the pro program to the high school. So then we'll have all our schools composting, all their food waste, anything that's food can go into these digesters. Meat, you know, not just vegetables. It's not like doing it at home. Uh, so. That's been a really positive thing. We're one of the, we worked with the state, with Chris White back when he was here. And now um, on Channel 12, back in December, they ran a segment. They came to uh, Keller Sullivan. They took a lot of, they took a lot of film. They interviewed students that talked about how it worked. Uh, it was, it's a great video. We sent it to the state, to the DEP and they're circulating it all over Massachusetts is how to do it and to get kids involved in it. So I think it's a really, um, it's something really good and the principal of Keller, what it did, you know, it's just not that big a lift to do it, but it does a lot of good for the environment. Thank you, Mike. Uh, I wanted you to talk about that video because I think it's something that uh, people haven't seen it to go online and, and take a look at it. It's pretty impressive. 
Uh, questions from the council? Councilor Jones? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. <clears throat> Mike, as far as our buildings are concerned, um, I know already that much of our transition over to LED light fixtures uh, has made a dramatic decrease in our overall energy usage. Correct. Ha have, have there been any, any new thoughts on any other type similar energy saving programs that we might be able to invest into in order to do that? So last summer we embarked, because we did, so all, all of Franklin's school and town buildings are 100% LED right now. So we're, we're through the LED thing, um, indoors, outdoors, and we did for the second time, because it had been almost 10 years since we put parking, LED parking lot lights in, and the LED parking lot lights have decreased in wattage, increased in intensity, so we did every town and school building last year during the summer. Um, the one thing we did also that we did over this past year was in the big, like middle school, in the middle school, the three complexes basically, um, we put in step-down transformers because those buildings are all fed with 480 volt. And we have a lot of step-down transformers to bring it to plugs, so you got 120 there. And interestingly enough, a transformer that was put in 20 years ago uh, isn't very efficient, but a new transformer that we're putting in today, and I use the term wasting energy because there's the amount of heat that's given off doing that, but a new transformer only wastes 19% of the energy, the one that was 20 years old, so we replaced all the transformers in all three complexes as well. And so we're keeping going, we're looking, um, we're looking at splits, we're looking at, but there are, you know, the, the jump off point to go all electric isn't, hasn't matured enough to heat big buildings like we have, like Franklin High and um, these big complexes, but we're hoping that more things get invented. The things that have been invented are more for smaller or residential split systems, um, people are putting in, you know, hot water heaters that are heat pump water heaters. I think we'll we'll get to that point shortly. And we are um, one of the other initiatives was the electric car charging stations. For the first time, we're adding them in a at Franklin High School. We're adding eight spots right after school gets out because teachers and students at Franklin High have been asking for charging stations. So I think. Um, we're probably one of the highest amount of charging stations for a community. It's kind of odd that we're developing charging stations, but it's almost no money between grid and the CDV grant. Um, mm -hmm. I pay very little for eight spots of charging. Wasn't the high school built to have solar panels originally on the roof of that building? It was, but so right now we, get most of our electricity from the upper Union Solar Farm. We also bought $100,000 worth of additional solar electric from um, a farm that was built in Bellingham over the last couple of years. It was developed by the same people that developed the farm up on Upper Union on the uh, monastery property. 
Right now, we almost have some weird things happen because so when a solar farm, it's just a law. It was a law written by you know the Massachusetts politicians at the state house, <laughs> and what it did was enable you to buy into these farms. We own the entire output of the other one. Right now, we're we're maxed out. We're getting almost too much solar because solar is actually every kilowatt that that farm generates is metered at the residential rate, which kind of killed us this winter. Because the residential rate went from 21 cents to 44 cents in grid. So we have way more credits than we ever, ever envisioned to have, honestly, when we, because we bought into this at 11 and 12. So um, we do not need more credits, if anything. We just need more things but, invented. But either way, <laughs> but either way, it's a future option. It is a future option. There's wire. There's Thank conduits. There's everything that, there. That, that, that is Thank you. It was it was certainly built to put them on at some point. Perfect. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Jamie. Jamie. Chairman. Just so the public is aware, aside from what Mike said, which is all true, um, we have had solar installers pre-pandemic reach out to the town um, interested in that space on top of the high school as well as a carport in the high school parking lot. Somewhere down the road, I'm just throwing it out there to everybody, as Council Hammer brought this up a minute ago, and Council it's a revenue source that may or may not work. It's something that I'm just throwing it out there. Um, years ago, that was not an advantageous project, but it's, we're in the budget straits that we're in, and maybe something we want to talk about the joint budget today. I like when we think outside the box. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Councilor Frangillo. I mean, it's all really just been touched upon. Solar with sort of, as we look for other opportunities, I mean, energy efficiency improvements, and there's been, I, I know that we're continuing to offer uh, green communities, uh, grants, and every opportunity we have to get those to save money uh, are fantastic. Uh, but yeah, solar, I mean, even if we don't need the credits, there's a good amount of people that can come in and, and produce solar or just get their own revenue and we just give up space, whether it be our parking lots or our, our rooftops. I think it's a good opportunity. We did do a study last year as well on um, at the DPW putting in some of the solar solar with select energy with cop part structures and um, we just weren't ready to make that big jump at the time but it would cover a number of the vehicles that park down there, um, mainly like even the school vans, so they wouldn't get snowed on in the winter, and it would be generous. There's a really good spot right up the side of the DPW garage that would be perfect, south facing. Uh, it's got all the attributes. Says the. Thank you, Councillor from Jello. Councillor Hamlin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I think I'm going to change the subject off the solar. Um, and I just had a just had a question about. I know that you put in these amazing air filters in all the schools and all the buildings to help clear the air so we could come in during COVID. Um, what about? Can you actually get the replacement bulbs now? And are they, do they cost a lot more? Like are the filters, all the 
the things that keep us safe. Can you get those, and um, have they gone up as much as anything else? So the bulbs are really not that expensive. They're like $90, so every air hand, the big air handlers like at the high school have five or six bulbs in them. So um, we're getting to a point this summer we'll end up changing a lot of the bulbs in the original EV, in the original um, UV lighting. Right. How often do we have to change them? It's really every couple of years. Okay, that's good. <laughs> It's a lot faster than that in a tissue culture, but you gotta you gotta do it a little bit faster. Um, so you and you can get them okay. Yeah, the whole the whole market kind of went down mm -hmm. once COVID subsided a little, because everybody was buying at every college, every school around the country. So and a lot of that has changed now, and they ramped up their capacity. So now. They're as easy to get as fluorescent bulbs or you know anything you can buy today. Right. And thank you for all the work you did on the food composting. I think that's really exciting. And um, I would love to know at the end of the year how many pounds to be removed from the from the waste stream. That's I, really good. I think as we go into it, Derek will be the big gum because Derek keeps track of all that stuff. He sets all this stuff up. I mean, the composting has been a huge group effort. With all the principals in town, um, the group that work with us—I mean, we were, we're out there helping the kids sort their food, <laughs> which is interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's, it just shows how forward-thinking everybody is. I mean, that's really—that's really cool. So I want to thank everyone that does that as well. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Councilor Hamblin. Councilor Delaco. Hey, Mike, can you just um, overall give us a you know, what kind of condition our buildings are in the whole time. Yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? Like uh, here, the schools, everything. So our buildings are getting older. And all the, all the, I mean, we're keeping up with things, but all the complexes are really going to need, I mean, Jamie talked about Remington Jefferson, right. which is older than the rest. That's a 1996. Um, Keller Sullivan was 02. Horace Mann, 02. ECDC was 04. But you're really coming to a point in those buildings where like fire alarm systems are old and then starting to get outdated and costing more to maintain. Um, the roofing systems are holding up pretty well, but you're gonna, that's one of the things, especially Remington Jefferson, is to replace that old metal roof up there. And We've been, doing, we've been saying that for a few years, Mike. <laughs> I know, and, H, and the HVAC systems. I mean, the chiller at Remington Jefferson was put in, it, you know, it was bought in 1995. It's very rudimentary. It's not that efficient. Um, we got to start getting on that. And the reality is, is, I mean, it seems like yesterday to me that we opened this building, but. We did put a new heating system, boilers in this last fall, and there are more things happening. You know, the fire stations, they were, fire station was 08, the other fire station was 2000. Uh, yeah. Senior center, I mean, we are gonna have to start putting more money, money into the these buildings. That, that was my question. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Councilor DeLarco. Councilor Chandler. For you, Mr. Chandler. Hi, Mike. Hello. Um, I'll get back to the numbers here a little bit. <laughs> Just so, 
for the people at home when they wonder why there's no money. Back in 2021, our electric bill in your budget was 1.3 million. Now it's over 2 million. So it just shows you that's just in the last few years. It's just skyrocketing. So what happened was, and it happened to every, every person who has a home, most of you in Franklin hopefully had bought into the aggregation, which is a big deal and saved your fortune this winter. But National Grid does, is legally required to bid their electric supply requirements twice a year, once in March, once in October. And at the time they bid in October, gas was like $10 a decatherm. Um, super expensive. To put it in, in perspective, when we had bid our previous electric supply and signed a four-year contract, gas was two bucks a decatherm. The war and stuff has caused problems with that, but right now, elect both electricity and gas are suffering from like a global problem here. And right now, even my solar farm, even the low rate for now is 37 cents. At the high, it was 44 cents. So electricity, is, we did lock in a four-year deal um, for 13.9 cents a kilowatt on electric back about a year ago. And we did lock in a number. Gas did drop from 10 bucks a decatherm to four bucks a decatherm. And we bought a two-year gas contract just earlier this year. So um, it's those two items have gone off the charts. Thank you. A bit of good news. Um, is that Mike just pointed to something that I felt was really important, which is the 13.9 per kilowatt for four years. And there's this is global. I mean, in my side business on this, like that I do on the side, we analyze global markets of energy. I know, right? And in all seriousness, like there's a lot of debate, right, in the energy markets. Do you wait for a recession? Will one come? Are the prices going to go down? But the bit of good news on this, that rate is locked in for four years. So next year, as long as the energy electricity usage is the same, we should not see the huge spike in increase in costs in FY25, 26, and 27, which means there's more predictability, there's fuel security, we can turn on the lights, um, and we should stave off, at least for the next few years, any huge increases, Councilor Chandler, that you just pointed out which is a huge increase. It's $760,000 in one year of an increase, and that's because the contract that we were used to be under was on a much lower rate, but um, you know, I felt it was important to make sure that we had that sustainability in the budget so we were not susceptible to any other major cost increases down the road, because the truth of the matter is nobody can really firmly predict this stuff perfectly. <laughs> so financial stability was key on that decision. Thank you. Sure, go ahead, Councilor. Uh, Mike, you got Mike. I went, huh, when I saw this? You have a, a line item that says telephone for 204000 That's a hot? No, that's, so. That's a please explain. Yeah. No, telephone is actually 
gone down over the years. Right now we're probably spending less on telephone than we've ever spent the entire time I've been in Franklin. Uh, we changed, but it is about that. So all the schools, all the town buildings, all our dial tone is comes in. We did make a change about three years ago and the savings that we got from going from one large dial tone provider to another large dial tone provider. And to do, to do this, we needed um, voice over IP telephones. And so we, with the savings that year, which is coming close to an end, we did a five-year lease to buy for all new telephone systems in all the town buildings. So that's actually in that. But dial tone has become, when I first got here, the school alone was paying four or five hundred thousand just in telephone costs a year. And that's when we started putting in telephone systems, uh, taking a small number of lines and letting them get used by a large group of people. And that's what really saves the money. Now, it's doing what I just said, you know, going for different dial tone providers as we go. So, thank you, Mike. Well, thank, thank you, Councillor Chandler. Councillor Cormier Ledger. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And I'm not sure if this is a Mike question, a Jamie question, or a God question. So, you know, <laughs> forgive me. At previous presentations, Mike, you've talked about Davis there, and you've talked about it being approximately a hundred thousand dollar expense <coughs> of the town you know just rounding up your numbers given that we're now going into our second fiscal year of that building being empty and not used we have a subcommittee that will eventually be starting to meet and figuring out its purpose but I just wonder creatively and I, I don't you know again I'm not really sure who to pose the question just so I'm just gonna throw it out there is there a way that that hundred thousand dollar expense could come out of operating and go into, I don't know, some sort of a deferred fund or a capital fund or a, you know, one of our rainy day funds to sustain it until we figure out what to do with the building and free up a little bit of money for things that we actually need right now. Because to me, it just seems like a gigantic waste of money. I know we gotta keep it heated and we gotta keep it insured and, you know, minimal amount of lights and stuff, but for a building that nobody's going in and using, I just wonder if there's a different way we could be looking at it. That's all. Jamie? Yeah, I'll see Chairman. Um, it's definitely not God's answer, <laughs> uh, but I will say that I, I was, in, I wanted to say that really badly, but it's not. Um, I think we could talk offline, maybe when we get the committee up and going, I'm hoping to make the nomination appointments in June. Obviously, we've been flat out with a lot of other work to do. Um, I think that's probably best for the subcommittee to talk about. Ultimately, though, Councilor Comerleder, to to do the electricity, the heat, those things, those are basic operating costs. They're never going to go away. So if they're not in the operating budget, we've got to find another way to pay for them um, somewhere else. I think what the committee may look at, um, and I'm, I'm just going to say it out of another try to crack a joke. But when I said in my memo, you know, once we get it cleaned out and you know, we have to evaluate the ADA status depending on use, if there was a temporary use, like leasing a parking lot or leasing up some spaces inside, you could 
offset that cost. Um, I can tell you if we made it into a pickleball tournament house, we would easily pay those costs due to the popularity of pickleball. Just stick a pickleball net in each bed, in each classroom and just let them go and use, just go for it, right? I mean, it is funny, but I will tell you that would cover the cost for it given how rapidly popular pickleball is. I think the Adirondack Club would back that up. Um, I only say that just as, a, just as a sidebar to have people think way outside the box, Mr. Chairman, like way outside the box, to think about maybe ways before an actual use is declared or whatever the building's gonna do, that could be you know 10 years or five years away. Could take a long time. So how do we offset the cost? I think would be hopefully the consideration that the subcommittee would take a look at because I think that Councilor Kamara Ledger does bring up a good point. We can at least offset that. Maybe it'll pay for itself somehow. Just some thoughts. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. I'll set council. Yeah, again, I was really just bringing it up to make sure and it's and on I understand. I guess on. one of my main concerns would be in order for the public to use that building, you'd have to bring it up to some sort of EDA standards. And the cost associated with doing that is staggering, uh, for sure. So, but that's not to say that we should not be thinking Way outside the world. It's still an asset, and yep. we're paying a lot of money for no one to use it. Yep. Right? So we're just, Absolutely. just bringing it up. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Any other counselors? Go to the audience. Is there anyone in council chambers that would like to speak on public property and buildings? Anyone out there in Zoom land? Seeing none, we will move on. The next item held is another Fab Five. Uh, is the police, and he's quickly to jump to the chair. I'm gonna put you in a hot seat, I'm gonna sit down. And just before we start with the questions, let me, I, I'd just like to throw one thing out. Chief, uh, I was fortunate enough to watch the Finance Committee on Zoom from Hong Kong, uh, but, and I saw your presentation on why the new officers are needed. For those who may not have been watching, can you explain why this investment is critical this year? Absolutely, Mr. Chairman, thank you. Um, yeah, the, the easy answer is we've been on the staff for over two decades. Um, you know, if you've read my budget memos over the last five, six years, I've, I've continually talked about where we were in the year 2000 when the department was budgeted for 54 police officers. We only got to 54 police officers last year. So that means for the last 23 years, there's been no growth in the police department. We never got to 54 back in 2000. We only got to 50. And we dropped all the way to 38. And then slowly climbed back up until we were 46 in 2016 when I became the chief. And then over the last eight, the last less than seven years, we've been able to gain eight through different maneuvers and so forth. You know, the town's contributed some, we've done some outside the box thinking with the new schedule, moving some overtime funds, et cetera. So we really haven't had an increase. And we're running at one officer scheduled on the patrol shift over the minimum. The minimum being the minimum number of officers necessary to make sure that we have enough officers to answer our call for service volume and make sure that the, you know, the officers are saved. Um, and we've never had more than one over the minimum, not for an extended period of a 24-hour period of time. Um, 
You also know that we've hired 31 police officers over the last six and a half years, which means we've been at full staff for four weeks in two different two-week installments over the last six and a half years. We're not at full staff now. So that's, you know, full staff, whatever we're budgeted for, that, that's the number of officers we have. In general, we have met what I would call our, we've exceeded our volunteer overtime capacity, which means that when we go below the minimum, we have to fill shifts with overtime. We budget the overtime. We have the money. But when offices, what happens when we don't, when we have a ship that needs to be filled, it's put up to bid. If it's if it's a week in advance, vacation, whatever. If not, it gets basically paged out, and offices call up if they want it. If nobody voluntarily accepts an overtime ship, they get ordered to work. What does ordered to work mean? You don't have a choice. We're a paramilitary organization. We're public safety. We need to make sure we have the staff needed to be able to answer the calls for service. You have no choice. You're, and we only order the people that are working on that day, which means you're either coming in early, you can't get ordered for the time that you're scheduled to work your 10 hour shift, so you either come in early or you have to stay late. In fiscal year 22, patrol officers in total were ordered 1,560 hours. There are 30 assigned to the patrol division and another 10 that are patrol officers that work in specialized services. 1,560 hours divided by 40 is 39 hours in a year. So technically, if it was, and it's not evenly distributed because some of the offices are off on weekends and then they couldn't get ordered or whatever else, it's not an average, but if it was an average, it would be another week. A week they got ordered to work. I can tell you that 15 years ago, people didn't get ordered, but a shift a year, if that, there's a combination of different things in play, and one of them is that the newer generation, the veterans, people that have been on, you know, like myself, uh, some others, I think Brian Chandler was probably, you know, Council Chandler from that generation, we coveted the extra overtime work and, and, and we would work. Sometimes we work 70 plus hours a week. We were probably dumb, and they're the ones that are smart, and they're spending time at home with their families and they're raising their kids. I'm amazed at mine are 19 and 21. Like, where the hell, like, where did that go? Um, but either way, they're, they're, they're not interested in working all the time. A matter of, and this is not a Franklin thing. This is not a Massachusetts phenomenon. This is all throughout law enforcement, all throughout public safety in general. Um, the way that we do business in hiring less people than what is necessary and then filling the gaps with overtime is not going to continue to work. And us not being only staffed to a level that allows us to only do a schedule that provides for one over the minimum necessary is not where we should be, never where we should have been. And I'm asking for these four offices so that we can plug that hole and be able to provide a schedule that will allow, when full staff, two offices over the minimum for 20 out of 24 hours every day for 365 in a year. And that's the reason I'm asking for it. Not so that we can get to a magic number. It would bring us to 58, which the average number for offices in departments that service a town of, of similar population is 59. But that technically is really the, that's one of the reasons. The other thing is when we're at the minimum, I don't have an extra officer to put towards directed patrols, what we would call for traffic enforcement. So the only time they can do traffic enforcement is when they're basically on shift 
and they happen to have some downtime. There's nothing like getting all set up, ready to rock, and do some traffic enforcement and get a call and have to go answer a call for service. It just it gets aggravating after the third or fourth time. You know, we understand that. We understand that they're trying, but when we're at the minimum, we just don't have the extra offices to use towards that traffic enforcement. Love the radar boards. They do a great job, the sign boards and so forth. But it's not the same thing as you know, seeing an officer doing traffic when you've requested it or your neighbors have requested it, or the fact that we pull somebody over and we can you know, start that education process, trying to get them to slow down and so forth. Now, those are some, there are other you know, th things that will allow us to do. I know, uh, our, you know uh, Councilor Chandler mentioned sending people to the academy. I've mentioned it a hundred times. I can't send somebody to the academy because we don't have the staff to be able to be without an officer for an entire year, which is what it takes when you end up hiring somebody and sending them off to the academy in a 13-week field training. It's a full year that that shift would remain open, which would then include the officers back at the, in the department getting ordered potentially to work those overtime shifts that become available. Thank you, Chief. I just thought it was important for everybody here and everybody listening and on Zoom to, if they hadn't heard the explanation, to hear the explanation. So, questions from the council. Councilor Cormier-Ledger. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Chief, I know in the past you've talked about you've kind of reached capacity with headquarters and we're looking at, you know, trying to find the money in a subcommittee to build a new one. But if you bring on these new personnel, you feel confident that you have adequate space for them? I mean, not gonna be, we're not adding to specialized services, so not to like detectives and community service offices that need a desk and a, and a work area. Um, yeah, we're gonna, it's gonna get tight in the locker room. It's already tight in the locker room, let's put it that way. Um, people with two lockers might now only have one. Maybe some of the offices that live in town, like myself, will dress at home. I don't have a locker. None of my command staff, I believe, has a locker. They, they, they use their office and we provided small walkers in their office, but we'll make do, because they don't want to get ordered. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Cormier-Ledger. Councilor Chandler. Yes, thank you, uh, <laughs> Mr. Chandler, to you. Yeah, Chief, I, you gotta, I just don't care about all those people getting ordered. You know, I mean, how would you people feel if you're about to go on vacation the next morning, you're like, nope. You're working 10 hours till 6 a.m. I mean, it's not a good feeling. And like you said, it sounds like people, the newer generation wants to, um, you know, spend more time at home. I'll be honest with you, I can remember my father taking my kids to games and saying, take the shift, go work. <laughs> you know, like, that was his mentality, make the money. Yeah. And, you know, that's how I, that's just all how I thought. And I know you work the double every day when, know, I remember. And so I, we need these people. And another thing you didn't mention is maybe by getting those offices, it could help the budget for the next fiscal year, right? Yes, through you, Mr. Chairman. Yes. I, I, we expect that there is going to be a decrease in overtime. That's why we're doing yeah. it. Um, we didn't decrease the overtime shifts now in this budget because number one, we've never had anything go off before, so I don't know exactly what's gonna happen, so I'm hoping that if we can obtain the officers, if, if you give us the funding to be able to hire additional four, that we'll be able to hire them immediately, get them on hopefully by October, which will give us a four month period before we start this whole thing all over again, because you know, budget's gonna be due you know, January, February, 
that we'll be able to compare you know, to and be able to uh, look at those numbers from previous fiscal years and say that we can't. The other thing was if you say no, I couldn't end up cutting the budget for the overtime because I'm going to need it. <laughs> you know? So uh, yes, we do expect it. I just don't know exactly what those numbers are. Hoping that it would be somewhere in the range of maybe $100,000 or more, which would definitely pay for basically one of the, you know, more than one of the four that we would be putting on. Plus, you just uh, a comment about Tri-County, just so people at home know, they paid for part of an officer for that high school, which helps. Uh, that is correct. And just last, I had one other question from the resident. You don't have to go into the uh, education incentive, but that's at $870,000, but basically there's no one that doesn't agree that an educated cop is better than a non-educated one. Yep. I think they're much better with the public and just in general. So I just want to get that moment there. Thank you, Chief. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Councillor Chairman. Uh, any other councillors? Councillor Delarco? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Chief. Um, yeah, uh, the forced overtime, as, as a union person, it, it brings morale down a little bit, you know, and, and, and that's not good, especially in your profession. It's not just you. It's just it's not just you guys about working overtime in my profession. But I'm group I'm group one, so you we can't force them. You guys can't because you group four. But I waited 40 years because when I first got on, all this all the old timers used to say, "Don't worry about it, kid. You'll get your turn." And I'm getting more overtime at 62 now because none of these young kids want to work. I waited 40 years to tell the young kids that you know. Wait till your turn, kid. Because when you get up, they don't—they just don't want to work. It's—it's it's, it's incredible, but uh, that's not has anything to do with it. It's just a morale issue. Your morale would be much better if, if you're not telling these people you have to work it out. If you tell people they have to work, it's not going to work. In my eyes, for you, I totally agree. Yeah, Councilor Walker and I, and, and we're doing a lot of stuff that's like wellness related and all that. Which is how can I? blame them if they want to spend more time with their families oh, watch their kids grow up and yeah. so forth like i said it's just a new dynamic and it's something we need to do and this is just the beginning of hopefully trying to do that like i said law enforcement in general depends on the overtime because it's just it's cheaper than hiring employees and the benefits and all that i get that but right. we just can't balance the budget on overtime as much as i think we used to because you had a lot of people that coveted the extra work right. not to say that none of them do um you know, I'm like you, I, I wish I wasn't salary, but I am. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Thank you, Councilor DeLuco. Uh, Councilor Sheridan? Yeah, Chief. So, you said if I tell our size, the ideal number would be 59. Through you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, excellent question, uh, Councilor Sheridan. Yeah, I mean, I look at 15 towns. You know, all with a population of between 29 and 36,000, which is difficult to find towns of our size. Yeah. You know, in Massachusetts, a lot of smaller. But yeah, out of the 15 towns, averaged them out, you're looking at 32,571 was the average population, and the average swarm was 59.2. You know, so for example, like uh, Braintree, Braintree 35,000 residents, 84 police officers. Norwood, 29,000 residents, 61 police officers. Uh, Natick, 33,061. Lexington, 33,050. Randolph, 33,059. Watertown, 35,068. Oh. You know, so it kind of runs the gamut a little bit. I can find you plenty, too, that are under 
thirty thousand, but for whatever reason they have you know fifty eight, fifty nine, sixty offices. Trying to keep some semblance, and then once you go up to you know like thirty nine, forty, forty one, they're all in the seventies. Now, now, like those same towns, how will your overall budget compare to them? Usually, when we compare our budgets to others, I mean, we're going to be seven million. It's low. Low. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Councilor Sharon. Councilor Frangillo. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and, and thank you for, for all you do and, and your team does to, to keep us safe. <coughs> appreciate that. Um, you addressed the overtime. That was the biggest one. Was sort of like waiting to see where the savings would be. So hearing that they'll be coming, that makes sense to me. Uh, and that's why we address budget uh, throughout the year. Uh, one of the questions I had was, okay, you, you made a clear case for eating for officers and for increasing personnel. I think that there are a lot of departments that can make pretty good cases for increasing um, their personnel. 7% uh, at once, right, four officers uh, at once, that's pretty substantial um, increase. And, and maybe this is even a, a, a question for Jamie, but is there a reason for, for four at once as opposed to uh, dropping it in and getting us uh, closer. Because four at once here, you know, four that aren't smart. Great question. I thought you were going to ask something else, but the chief can probably best explain the shift schedule on um, why four are critical at once as opposed to one, one, and one, you know, as opposed to one a year or something like that. The four is basically where you're going to get the shift schedule rotation for the overtime savings. <coughs> Otherwise, you're only adding one person to one shift. I think the chief just said 20 hours out of 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. If you had one officer, you'd have a fraction of that. Is that correct? Correct. Don't forget that the entire patrol division is broken up into two groups. There right now there's uh, 15 patrolmen in three sergeants in one room, 15 patrolmen three on the other, and a different a sergeant that splits between the two. So for every shift that you add on one side, you'd have to basically add a shift on another to be able to cover the full thing. So two would only end up basically helping out for one squad and not the other. You need the four to be able to get to the, you know, two over the minimum for the 20 hours. You know, for the 20, yeah, 20 hours a day. We haven't even talked about raising the minimum yet. Like we're not, you know, we, we can't even do that because we don't have the numbers. We're working on the same minimums that we did back in 2000. You know, we haven't gained anything. The town is no, the town isn't smaller than it was 23 years ago. There's not less traffic than there was 23 years ago. It's, I, I, like I said, I mean, 23 years ago, we're at the same number of bodies, it, which we never got to, but that the town agreed at that time was necessary to properly and professionally police the, the, the town of Franklin. So it's, there's nothing, I mean, we, it, it's time. And like I said, if you want to go back, read the budget narratives for the last five years. Every budget narrative I've done starts with that. It starts with you're going to eventually get to a point where your call to service volume is going to exceed. Didn't really foresee five years ago. You won't see that, but this whole thing about a culture change with some of the officers working. But have I asked Jamie every year for more officers? Yeah. Do I put it in the budget? No. Why? Because it tells me we don't have the money. So part of it is I think it's, it's, it's our time, you know, and we've also really worked hard to come up with, you know, if, if, we, if in 2016 we were at 46 and we're now at 54, that's eight. Like Officer Chandler said, half is a deal that we made 
myself and the people from Tri-County to do an intermunicipal agreement that allows for a 50-50 split. Five of the offices come from the four and four 10-hour shift schedule with shifting the money. One of the offices comes from cobbling together a whole bunch of different things, including going to a different range so we can shoot lead instead of non-frangible ammo, which is twice the cost, et cetera, et cetera. As I've said a couple of times, there's no more rabbits up the sleeve. I cannot find any place else in the budget to rip anything else out or to reduce stuff to try to get us more bodies. So this is us asking for, you know, we, we really could use this because I don't want to lose offices that will go to another department because that department's not getting orders as often because they're more properly staffed. I mean, we've done a lot to be able to get these offices that we have due to some of the things like paying what used to be the Quinn bill, the full Quinn, instead of what in 2012, when they got out of civil service, that the newer offices weren't getting the Quinn bill. And we said, this isn't gonna work. You know, there's a number of different things that the, the town administrator, the administration and the unions have worked together to make sure that we are a department that people wanna come to. And even when they do, we're having a tough time finding people right now. You know, we have a thing out there in the hope that this goes through so that we'd be able to move quickly on it. And the, I hate to say it, but the quality of the people that are applying are nowhere near what it was even three years ago. Um, so it's, it's so to lose any of the fantastic people that we have right now, which we've done very, very well, um, that would just be horrifying to me. Um, so I hope that that's not going to be the case. Yeah. You still have the floor. Thank you. My, my other follow-up, and again, you know, we said this at the beginning, we'll, we'll say it again. Like, you know, if we could say yes to everything. We'd say yes to everything. So I apologize for, you know, sort of the, the scrutiny of this. Well, this just happens to be our largest new discretionary expenditure. Sure. Uh, my other uh, question was, you know, how long does it take to higher and uh, is it possible to slow walk not the number but similar to the other way where they're only going to end up working half the year because uh, it takes some time to finish that. Did that ever make sense? Jim, Jim, take this? It totally makes sense. Yeah. The pro In terms of the thought, the question that you just made, what doesn't make sense is that appropriation. Why? Next year you're going to face the exact same problem. So you're right back. You don't really gain anything on on a policy like that in this situation with the four officers, right? So you may be able to say cut that in half theoretically, and say you gain you know 150 thousand extra in revenue, right? But in a year from now, that impact is going to come back up even higher. Just like the regional dispatch center, just like some of the other things we've talked about, you're going to get hit with a larger amount on the tax levy occupying that tax levy, so you're just systemically making next year even more difficult. Uh, the second piece I would say is, um, you know, in, term of, in terms of the recruitment, we have to be ready, as the Chief said, to be able to hire the best people we can find. And if I have to wait until January or February or something of that sort, you, know, you could end up losing the quality of officers that you really, you know, obviously desire. Um, I know that's challenging. I know that may not be you know, exactly what folks want to hear, but I think it's time. And also, the last thing I would say is to this point, um, we lost already a couple. This is just a tough issue. And we used to have 250, 200 people, 250 apply for our police exam 10 years ago, eight years ago, you're getting 30, 40, 50 now. So I think this is also an issue where 
you know, the issue of law enforcement for whatever reason is not becoming as appealing of a field to be in. Um, and we have to use every advantage we can to be competitive. Um, and the two officers, I don't want to overstate it, say, geez, they lost, they left just because of this issue. It wasn't just this one issue, it was a package of issues. But to TJ's point, those two were, those two were, were, were really, really, really good. And it hurt. Um, when he told me, just because I knew them well and knew that they had a really bright future, but I think it speaks to the challenges of law enforcement in general, the salaries, the overtime. Just remember, every 4th of July, every officer in the Franklin Police Department must be here in Franklin for the 4th of July Festival. That's a tough thing for some people to digest, and so anything we can do to try to make that investment up front, um, you know, I don't know if there's anything I missed. Any other thoughts yet? No, no, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, I, would, I mean, our hope is that we would get some transfer candidates, some good ones that would come on, and like I said, would hopefully be, you know, through with field training and available and working as of October. Um, that would be long. I mean, we, we've already started to advertise, you know, it, not because we just assumed that you would give us the funding, but on the hope that you did and that they did and that we would just pull the advertisement. But we are looking, you know, to try to get some decent transfers because I don't want to wait a full year, you know, and try to get a, uh, you know, somebody that to put through the academy. Once we get fully staffed, then we can start. And when we can put people through the academy, we can also help to diversify. You know, if we're not getting group to apply that we'd like, we might be able to get it through the, the, the testing and all that. That's very helpful. Thank you again, and thank you again for uh, all your officers do to keep us safe. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Fondillo. Councilor Hamlin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, TJ, th thank you for being here. I was. I also watched your presentation at the um, FinCom meeting, but I wasn't in my audience. I was a little bit luckier. But, um, I, you paint the picture and you you uh, create a story that I think most people can understand and I hope everyone gets a chance to see is that presentation up? Yeah, it's on the well, Jamie has people can click I just I knew uh, people would ask I, for it. I, so. <laughs> I ask everyone if you're asking if this is necessary to, to actually take a look at that presentation. Uh, and um, of course we want everyone to be safe. We want our the community to be safe. We want our police officers to be safe as well. That's one of the things I worry about. If we don't have enough officers out there to be, if they can feel safe. Right. Obviously, we don't want to force them to go do overtime because, you know, I don't even want to work the hours I have to work. I don't want to, <laughs> like, I don't want to do anything. I understand that. Um, there was just, I think everybody else asked the questions that I was going to ask, but uh, Councilman Chandler brought up a question about like sending a, a local kid to the to um, to get trains and um, how much would that cost to do that it, it's not a tremendous cost I mean you pay if we were to hire them then we pay them while they're at the Academy okay. you know it's the minimum uh, they're not part of the collective bargain agreement but they get the minimum you know and then the three thousand dollars tuition hour it's been a while so it might even be more now uh, that we've ever paid we would pay that on their behalf in the Senate. we've sponsored candidates before and we have put people through the academy over the last six and a half years it's just as i stated before when you only have one over the minimum right. and you're constantly short because you have people leaving in the Senate, the difference between hiring a it can take if all works out well within three months maybe four max you can get a transfer through the you know, you, you advertise, you interview, you they go through their pre-employment screenings, background checks, all that, 
and then they come on and they do a four or five week, depending on how many years they've been on you know, the job working, uh, field training. But a new recruit, it's 22, 23 weeks in the academy. It's 13 week field training. And then that three months beforehand of all that pre-employment, it's a full year that that, that slot on the schedule is empty. Okay. So it, every time that, per, that slot comes up. To go get that training as well, right? So that comes out of the budget, out of your budget to pay them to go through all the training. It would be the salary, like the salary, salary for like if we're budgeted for fifty-eight, we're going to put you know fifty-four now. We're going to put four in the academy. Yeah. Then we'd use that the, the four the budget for the four offices would be to put the you know that pay them while they were in the right. academy. Right. It's just it, we wouldn't realize them on the schedule for, for twelve to thirteen months. Okay, all right. Thank you. I was just like curious. And when we now have two over the over regularly at fifty-eight with two you know thirty-four in patrol, and we have the two over the minimum, it would give us the option to possibly send somebody because yes. we're not as short. It would open it up. That's, that, thanks. That, that's what I was. Exactly, that's what I was, <laughs> I was thinking. thinking that, like, well, if we yeah. had 58, yeah. we could do it. Okay, thank you. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Councilor Hamlin. Councilor Jones. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, first off, Chief, I don't, I don't even think I need to mention how great our police forces and how wonderful our police officers are. I think one of the most disheartening things that comes out of this conversation tonight is that our offices are actually being ordered to work. I certainly wouldn't want to cut into their, their families or anything else like that. That's, I, I recall our conversation back in 2016 when you talked about having to meet the number of offices that were necessary. And you have, in fact, put off many years. Uh, and now you've come, finally come to the point where it's become a necessity. The last thing I want to do is jeopardize the town's safety and, and, and well-being. Um, so I'm going to do whatever I can do in support with my counselors to try to meet those needs because it has become uh, difficult to find hires and resources. It's unfortunate because um, many of my friends growing up are police officers, some from Watertown, many of them are retiring. Um, and much of the feedback I'm getting from the retirees is not what it used to be. So it's really it's really hard to keep and maintain good personnel and not to last in order to lose any of our good officers. Um, but I'm, I'm truly going to look deep in, into how we can do our best to find these school offices for you. Because to me, that's a necessity. There are, there are two crucial things in this community, fire and, fire and safety. And trying to maintain those has always been a challenge. It's getting that much more difficult. But you've got my support to, to try to find those for Thank you, Chief. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Jones. Any other counselors? Is there anyone in the audience that would like to speak or uh, have a question on Department 210 Police? Please, just name and address. Okay, up here? Yes, please. And I think Mr. Sherlock will adjust as necessary. Carol O'Neill, 11 Colt Road. Um, it's more like a comment. Um, I just want to render my opinion insofar as officers and, and uh, young people in general wanting to spend more time with their family. That's a good thing. Yeah. Right? That's a good thing. And perhaps it might have some influence as to maybe 
in the future, so many kids won't be out wandering the streets. Who knows? But that's a good thing, and so we don't want to look at that negatively as we approach this new era in our lives, you know? Thank you. Is there anyone else in council chambers that would like to speak on Department 210, please? Is there anyone out there in Zoom land that would like to speak on Department 210, please? I'd say, Chief, get out while they're getting to Your turn. Thanks, Chief. Thank you. Okay, uh, next department held is another one of the Fab Five, uh, Department 220, Fire. Chief McLaughlin. Jim, and I was going to stand at the podium, but I didn't want to make him look bad, so I'll sit down. I'm sure that was the case. Okay, uh, <clears throat> just. Uh, to help in the questions from the council and the community. Chief, could you give us the community an update on the call volume and mutual aid? Yes, Mr. yes, Mr. Chairman, in calendar year uh, 2022, that was the first year that the department went over 5,000 calls. We actually did 5,120 calls. Mutual aid also went up in proportion to that. We had roughly 250 calls in 22 uh, mutual aid calls in. We rented mutual aid out around 150 calls. So the numbers are steadily going up and it's um, and that's part of the rationale, the strategy we have going forward to address the mutual aid uh, numbers going up with the plan for the two and five, but as that we've gotten this proposal this uh, fiscal year. How will those two new paramedics help the trend? Our proposal is to have two firefighters. One would be an EMS captain that would work directly under the EMS battalion chief at headquarters for, for business days from 7 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. That captain during normal business day would uh, do some internal training, more external training with the uh, town employees. We do a lot with the senior center now, do more with the school nurses perhaps, with the public health director, work with the safe coalition. We want that person to be more involved in the EMS side. We'll also have a succession lane in the EMS division with an EMS captain and an EMS battalion chief. In addition to that, during those four days, that officer will be prepared to man the third ambulance at headquarters. We have a third ambulance at headquarters. It's in great condition because we are fortunate that we get our vehicles replaced in a, on, on a great timeline. That truck has everything but the personnel. It has everything but the personnel and we would uh, use that if both ambulances were out of service. We could put that truck in service instead of relying on a mutual aid company. The other firefighter that we have in this proposal is a firefighter that would be assigned the same exact schedule. They would work at headquarters, and that firefighter would be responsible for maintaining that ambulance, making sure it's ready to go, and also the ladder. Our first due ambulance at headquarters crossmans with the ladder. So a lot of this, we talk about putting that third ambulance in service, which is great. But this is also a, a twofold issue that we get to take care of. But we also have that ladder is more readily uh, available to have personnel on it if our ambulance is out on another call or at Milford Hospital. So we think it's a, it's a real win-win. It, it certainly is outside the box, if I may. This firefighter that would be get hired would be working just days, would not work a traditional 24-hour shift. 
It might be a good opportunity for a firefighter who doesn't want to work nights. It might give a senior firefighter the opportunity to work that schedule with their home uh, with their kids uh, or if their spouse has, a, has another job that works nights. So it's gonna give that opportunity, open that up, but uh, we think it's gonna be the right thing to do. I'll tell you today, it was a, a blue sky Wednesday in May in Franklin, and our engine one was about two hours in Mills working at the uh, three alarm fire in the apartment building. All right, other engine two was doing multiple calls with the two ambulances that got sent out on different calls. And we had a third ambulance come in and they uh, came in from Plainville. And it was a very serious ALS call. And they had a, the Plainville ambulance had to take people off for our second engine for extra help to bring them to the hospital. So just a Monday in, in May here in Franklin and that's what we went through just this morning. So the need is there. The statistics as you see in our, um, our narrative show that Monday through Friday, seven to five, that's the peak time. That's when we're getting more, most of these runs. So we think this is the perfect way to take our first step in. If we wanted another ambulance right now, we'd have to ask you for eight firefighters, but not, that's not reasonable. We just think it's the first step in the right direction. You know, I, I said it at the Finance Committee, I think the department, I think the town right now is having growing pains with a second ambulance and a third. And we think this is probably the most cost effective way of, of taking care of it now at this point in time i like the fact that you're looking at this thinking outside of the box uh, how often and you may not have this these numbers how often are both our ambulances out when and we have to call in uh, mutual aid. So if that mutual aid number that I gave you for 22, that so 250, they're not all EMS calls, but the vast majority of them are EMS calls. Sometimes it would be, but also with that, even though it's not an EMS call, if that first ambulance is out and it's a fire call, then we have to rely on a mutual aid ladder to come in. That's part of that number as well, because we have no one to man that ladder truck. So the majority of it is EMS. But part of this mutual aid that we talk about also affects uh, fire calls as well, being that, not being able to man a ladder. That's why we think that these two people will be, be able to take care of both problems that we have, and we certainly will have the advantage of getting the extra revenue from the ambulance billing, but it's also very important to have that vehicle at someone's house when they need it. And uh, those trucks, besides being able to transport to the hospitals, they also have all the medications that the engine companies do not have. The engine companies are trained exactly like the people in the ambulance, they're all medics. Everyone in this job is a paramedic, but the ambulances, not only with the stretchers, they also have the added medications that we wanna to get to the patient as soon as possible, in addition to a quick transport. Thank you, Chief. I'm glad to see you sitting here and not asking for another vehicle. <laughs> oh, that's coming. That's... <laughs> uh, questions from the council? Councilor Sherry. Uh, same question as the uh, police chief. Uh, how is your manpower consistent compared to other towns by the same size? Right around us, we're like the uh, big fish in a small pond. Most of the communities around us have a lot less population, less amount of, of firefighters. If you look at the Natick's, Nodes, Needham's, uh, those departments have more of the uh, size of uh, residents within the town. Call volume as well. In fact, we do more call volume than some of those towns that I've listed, but they're like in the 70s, some of those towns. In fact, uh, Natick has, uh, is it Natick? I believe Natick has four stations, believe it or not. Um, but 
Um, we, this number we're at right now, um, I think this is putting us in the right direction to properly staff the two stations that we have right now. So we're really, I would say we're under as far as the size the, uh, compared to those departments with that kind of volume count and resident count. And I assume the budget would be the same then. That's correct. And, and then as far as like some people ask about the pays, we're right, basically right in the middle of the pack, both with the communities around us and um, right in the middle of the pack. We did our comps before we went into the uh, collective bargaining last year. And we had the Renthams, uh, Plainville, Medway. They were all slightly under, but they got CBAs in the interim, so they've come right up to us. We've also got the uh, Westboro's was about 4% more. Randolph was 11% more. Milford's 12% more. So we're like right in the middle of, middle of the range as far as how that goes. How about towns with the maybe shares like Rentham, like this is the call volume you have? Like Rentham's call volume, I, I, I think they're in the 3,000s somewhere. Uh, don't hold me to that. I think we're, I think they're in the 3,000s, maybe 3,400. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Councilor Sheridan. Councilor Fendillo. I just want to underline what's been said by the last two people. Thank you again for coming out. And thank you uh, for your officers as well. Yeah. But I want to underline that this is now the second department in a row that's made a very clear case for why they're understaffed and under where we would ideally have them be to have the quality of service uh, that we want. Um, I think it's important to remember as we walk through uh, the budget, um, there's going to be focus on um, on schools, and we'll get to those uh, comments. And every piece, there's aspirations of where we would like to be, uh, and, and everyone we're just below the ability to actually uh, provide that service. Thank you, Councilor Fungillo. Any other councilors? Councilor DeLocco. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. How you doing, Chief? Good, Councilor. Thank you. Thank you guys for all you do. I know how it is, how it is. but um, currency, the, the two paramedics. My question is, is, are you having a hard time finding paramedics? Um, we're one of the few departments in the, in the state that require it to apply. All right. And we definitely want to keep that standard there. And we, we think we stay ahead of the game with the pace we're going. I think we're, we're going to be okay. We've got an application period open right now uh, for the whole month of May. I think at this point we have maybe 18 or so applicants. So However, not all of them are medics. If they state their interest, they're either in medic school or they're going to go to medic school. So what we do with that pool is we have a, a night with them, an open house, to make sure we show them the Franklin Fire Department so we don't lose them. So once they get done with their studies, that they would aspire to be here and to work in Franklin. But um, the, the advantage to that is we don't have to incur the cost. To become a paramedic is a huge cost. It takes up to two years to get that. We don't have to do a lot of towns that um, hire a firefighter that's not a medic. They incur that cost when they go to class. They also have to cover that firefighter while they're at school. Those are costs that we don't have to do in Franklin, and it's working out great. No, that's it's working great. out great. I, just, I know yeah. over mass point, you just have to be an EMT. Right, right. But so we want to keep it at that level. That's our goal. That's, that's a good idea. Thank, thank you, Councilor DeLarco. Uh, to pick up on uh, Chief Lynch, Officer Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Mr. Chairman. <laughs> Hi, Chief. Um, I know Jamie has done some salary surveys, but I can say from this book, you're underpaid. Yeah. Thank you. You don't have to respond to that. <laughs> 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 
Secondly, again, for people at home, I can guarantee you the Norwoods, Needhams, and everything else you said have more than one civilian to work. That's all you have. One, one civilian in budget. We, we do. And, That's and, incredible. And she does a uh, terrific job. She really does, Tracy. She does an amazing job. And uh, yeah, that's what we have right now. But we've got the staff as well. Um, we're fortunate that we have the deputies and uh, the EMS. And now with this new EMS position, a lot of what she's had, we can take a lot of that off her plate. This EMS billing is a lot to it. And now we can kind of shift gears a little bit and give her a breather when it comes to that. So uh, she does a great job. But it all works out well there. And I have to support hiring this um, firefighter because those hours alone make a big difference. Yes. We appreciate yep. We appreciate you doing that to save money. Thank you. I know not every single department can do what you do and what Chief Lynch does, but you've done a great job with that. Thank you. And lastly, Mr. Chairman, um, I mentioned the police, you know, being educated. You, everyone gets a paramedic stipend, which is great. But maybe you can tell us too that also you give an education incentive. We do. We do give an education. The, the, the uh, stipend is uh, is contractual, obviously, and so is the education. And one thing we did a little different during the last contract that we're in right now, last July, is now we identified eight degree programs that are pertinent to the fire service. If you have a degree program, that's great. They were getting uh, money for where they had an associates, a bachelor's, or master's degree. Now we've now narrowed that down to like eight concentrations where if you pursue that, it's more in our lane, in the fire service lane, paramedics, and fire science, emergency management. They pursue that. This is a little bit more of an incentive for the education incentive. But yes, we do do that. And we do believe that makes a, a, a better, more productive, more professional workforce with the education. And we're one of the few departments that you do have to get the associates within your first five years. That's correct. Thank you very Thank you, Councilor Chandler. Thank you, Councilor Any other councilors? Anyone in the audience uh, like to speak or have a question on Department 220 Fire? Anyone out there in Zoom land have a question on 220 Fire? Thank you, Chief. Thank you very well, much. Thank you. Run. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, next department held is inspection department. And yes. Councilor Hamlin. Yeah, Gus here. Gus is here. And I'm sure he'll find his way forward. Good evening. Hi, hi Gus. Um, through to the chair for you. I just I wanted to make sure that everyone would, um, knew that you have taken on other duties, through duties, the uh, ways and measures, and um, that the state decided to give to the town. I was wondering if that's added to your budget, if um, and, and how much time that takes you, and, and what extra work you're doing now for us. So through the chair, and we have a line item this year, I believe um, it's somewhere around $34,000 and that's to pay for a part-time sealer. We're waiting for 
Um, the county commissioners answer us back as to whether or not we're going to get someone from them to help us. They're trying to do a regionalization thing. Okay. And in the meantime, it's added a little bit to my workload, although the state has come in and assisted me as well because new, being new at it, there's a few nuances that I didn't know about, and they've been more than accommodating, even though they kind of dumped us like a hot potato. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was kind of a shot, right? Yeah. So, uh, and they were, and they had, we had paid them X amount for a year to do this service for us, and it was a deal and a half. So it was disheartening when it happened when they let us go. So it, it went that the people who own the, the things that need to be measured, right, would pay a fee, and then to, to the town, like how did that, how did, the, how did the fee schedule work? Well, how did that work? And do we, does the town now keep those fees? Does it pay for some of the services or like a portion of the services? We will, we did in the past, we did make a little bit of money on it off of what we paid the state for a stipend, so to speak. And as we build them, we did it through our department. Um, it was a little bit of a profit. So it, it worked out very well. It'll probably be a little bit less this time to, to our profit to make. And I would say that our rates will probably have to be raised slightly to try to offset what we're going to spend for this part-time person. And I think we'll do it, we'll try to do it incrementally so that business owners aren't hit hard in the very beginning. And I think it'll work out fine. But it's, um, so you think, so the fees then will pay for that person eventually? I think eventually it will. I think okay. in the beginning stages of it, it will not. Right. But eventually that, that I think it will catch up. Yeah. Okay. I, just, I just want to make sure everybody knew that, that that's what that was about. Right. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Councilor Hamlin. I know that uh, the town administrator has no problem forcing Gus to work. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, questions from the council. Any others? Anyone in council chambers have a question on, uh, let's see, inspection. Department 240 inspection? Anyone out in Zoomland have a question on Department 240 inspection? Gus, you're off the hook. Thank you, Mr. Chief. Thanks, Gus. <clears throat> okay. Uh, we are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.